Bum, 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 bum. I love that intro song. Shout out to Wisdom Traders. Check it out on Spotify, SoundCloud. I think those are your best bets. Good buddy of mine from way back in junior high and onward named David makes that music and it's really good. Thank you, Mr. E and everybody else in the chat for sending the energy of signal clarity to us <laughs> so that hopefully Gabe and I are in perfect uh, alignment or close enough for jazz. I think we will be. We, we did some ironing out of all that. And thank you to everybody who's here for the one hour early start time. I don't know if I'm getting old or what, but it's just a much more attractive <laughs> prospect to begin at 6 p.m. Central than 7. At least for this, we're, you know, we're going to be here for a minute. We got a lot to talk about. So if you're new around here or you haven't checked out one of these Loki streams before, no big deal if you never watched Loki or <laughs> if you're jumping into the middle, didn't see the previous episodes or what have you. This is going to be a synchromistic romp through and upgrading your symbolic literacy on many levels. I mean, the numerical linguistic riddles I find in this show are outstanding. They might even give you a clue on how to conduct research for yourself on certain things. I don't know. I feel like this process has taught me a lot about how the code of numbers and letters that underlies all reality operates and how it all fits together. Still have no idea who's doing it. <laughs> If it's the writers or AI or demons or God or some combination, but I'm excited to get into it. So we're picking up on episode two of season two of Loki, part two, 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 two. And we left off at uh, the point where Loki and Mobius were interrogating Brad and had a, a big failure, <laughs> a big blow up. But first, let me kick it over to you, Gabe. Welcome to uh, another Marvelous Demystifiers. Thanks for being here, my man. Absolutely, my friend. Thanks for having me, as always. It's a joy and a pleasure. A uh, couple thoughts on the alphanumeric code of things. Uh, I, I had a strong numerology phase. Things got really intense. I had to walk away. I had to pull the cord. I had to pull the parachute. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, uh, I'm moving back into that mindset because of the cicada spell. Um, we have a strong uh, cicada season coming with two separate broods. A southern brood and a northern Illinois brood are going to meet for a very rare occasion. It hasn't happened since 221 years ago. And right away, ding, 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 ding. My numerology whistles were buzzing and it was time to get that hat out and get back into numerology because the cicadas are obsessed with prime numbers. And this is the Pythagorean code. It's it's basically a huge holiday for the Pythagorean uh, foundation bedrock of all secret societies. So I did a show with our buddy LaBranche on the cicadas. So they are on my mind. And part of the reason I got into the cicadas was when I found that the emperor card is the scratchy stick musical instrument in the Capoeira Symposium. I've recently discovered that all the tarot cards are a musical bateria for the Capoeira ritual, which gives me a very unique insight into these cards, which is very exciting. But I found that the scratchy stick is the emperor card, and the scratchy stick is the sound of the cicadas. And so the music of the muse has been singing to me very powerfully, and it's very appropriate that we're on Breaking Brad who is the emperor card in my read. 
And there is a lot of torturous energy around this individual number four personality type. So the fact that we're here in the torture scene and the cicadas are on the horizon for this spring, the season of the Emperor card is going to be steeped in cicadas. And now I even understand the color code of why the the TVA is orange, brown, and black. It's all cicaded out. 100 percent cicaded to the max. Even the, uh, <laughs> when you look out the windows and, and you see all those, uh, the cars flying in the, the flying cars, that's encoding a cicada swarm. The, the, all the context is coming back to me and I'm looking at the whole Loki thing. Is, is this a locust? Is this a locust spell? Are they going biblical on us? And so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring all of my thoughts from the week up to speed on the fact that the cicadas, the locusts, and the uh, the um, pests, the pestilence, is they're trying to bang that drum, and it's right in time, right on time, because uh, yeah, March is March is going to be so interesting. Well, there was a pestilence time. The Mars being with Pluto up in the sky clock—that's pretty interesting. Everybody is hearing you that perfectly clear. You're even in decently high resolution. This is great. We're going to have so much fun tonight. I want to, so man, your cicada weave, just for everybody, you know, for the record, if I don't make an immediate like comment on Gabe's weaves, it's just because I'm too flabbergasted by his train of thought, or I feel like we need to move forward. Not that I didn't like it, uh, but I want to give everybody a little reminder what I, cause Gabe's brought up the emperor card. I definitely see where he's coming from, like with the Brad character specifically. Uh, and my my way of approaching these shows has been to look for, since there's 12 episodes, to look for two major arcana cards to represent each episode myself. You know, and we we have a different research take. What's interesting is that the pattern or the framework that you look at something through that pattern begins to reveal itself. If the, it's a pattern that exists in nature, then it's going to show up. So, you know. Whichever way you might look at it, maybe I could have picked two different cards and found them throughout the episode as completely. But the ones that worked for me really profoundly, thoroughly well was the High Priestess or the Priestess card starting out and then the Lover's card. So I wanted to remind everybody, these are the the numbers and letters that we're most, well, I'm most interested in and looking for in this episode. And I found so many examples, it's kind of startling, but... The priestess card has the Hebrew letter Gimel, which is the third letter of the old alphabets, the Greek Gamma. So it's a G. If you spell out Gimel, it's G-M-L, which equals 73. So we're looking for 73s. But there's, back to your cicada spell, you know, there's a, there's a magic with the Gimel, or with the number 73, I should say, that it's the 21st prime number. But if you reverse 73... And you get 37. That's the 12th prime number, which is the reverse of 21. And on top of that, seven times three is 21. So there's some powerful, weird number magic going on. And just looking at things through this lens, you do see some amazing correspondences. So we're going to be looking for 73s and 37s. And to a lesser degree, maybe some 21s or some 12s. Um, I don't think I really looked for a whole lot of 12s, but I did find all of those in the episode. And then additionally, uh, I want to talk about the Zion that's on the lover's card. The letter Z, the seventh letter, 
Zion Yad Nun is a 67. So that's the other one that I find very, very thoroughly <laughs> stacked up in this episode. And with that, I will scooch us ahead to where we left off. Look out, man, we, we had a lot to talk about last time. I, I'm glad that I was able to hold it down <laughs> while Gabe had his tech problems. But here we are. So we left this scene where Mobius gets triggered by Brad when they're interrogating him. They're trying to find out where Sylvie is at. You know, all of time and space and reality depends on finding Sylvie. And the secrets he's holding is very much a high priestess idea because the high priestess guards secrets. Uh, and they leave the room because Mobius gets so upset he slaps Brad and they got to leave. They they lost control of the interrogation situation. So here they are hitting the spiral, spiral spare staircase. But as they're leaving, here's an, an example of the Zion of this episode. Brad got under Mobius's skin. That's the exact dialogue. He got under his skin. And that's basically a Zion reference because that letter in Hebrew can mean to pierce. And obviously, if it pierces something, you're getting under the skin. And Gabe, I know you had something to say about this spiral staircase. I'll let you take it. They come down up and down the spiral staircase frequently in the show. Yes. Yes. I have learned this is a symbol of the Helter Skelter. And Helter Skelter is actually a reference to an old kitchen mechanism a lot of people still know. And that is, it's a uh, rack that you store your eggs in so that you can use the oldest egg first and keep uh, supplying the fresh eggs to the top of the rack. And so it's the spiraling rack that the eggs roll down, almost like a conveyor belt for when you go bowling and your ball comes popping back to you. But imagine that on a uh, on a uh, spiraled metal frame looks just like a spiral staircase in your kitchen. And so something I have come to learn is that the engineer, social engineers, they love to associate hazard with kitchen implements because you see the kitchen implement so often and the kitchen is the place of safety and caution and mom shaking her finger at you and all these uh these uh protocol the kitchen is the the place of protocol and so finding the helter skelter multiple times is is really fascinating because it's a big thing in california like everybody in california probably sees the symbol more uh, readily than we do. But I want to say this, it is also signifying eggs. They are inseminating our thoughts with eggs. And that is another pattern that I'm picking up on the Slick Dissident channel that is going to be a big deal considering how do these cicadas get hatched? How do these ideas get embedded into your mind? They, they put these eggs, they hide eggs in your ear, hide egg gear. They hide eggs everywhere. <laughs> and then when cicada season pops out, everybody's talking about the pestilence. So, yeah, psychologically, this is the master's touch. Wow. Well, there's the thing that happens with uh, Edward Bernays and the whole Mad Men of Madison Avenue and their advertisements that they found in terms of like processed food that comes in a box, you know, instant food type of things that uh, 
women were more likely to buy that stuff if rather than the process just being that they, you know, took it out of a box and and mixed it with some water and put it in the oven and had boom, you got yourself a cake or you got brownies. Women wouldn't buy that because back in the day they felt like, well, that's my job. I'm supposed to make the food. You know, what about me? Where's my value? <laughs> so Bernays figured out you just got to put it on the instructions. Just add an egg. And then if you whip the egg into the mix, they feel like they're doing something. And all of a sudden they started flying off the shelves, the instant brownie mix and cake batter and all that. Probably, you know, I had a thought. I, uh, this is a nefarious thought. Sometimes I'm ashamed, but that's okay. I'll, I'll share. I'll share this one. What if telling people not to eat the yolk in their eggs, like, oh, you have uh, whatever blood pressure, so no, no more. You can eat the egg whites, but you don't eat the yolks. What if that's just subconsciously seeding the fact that this is a serious matter? They're not yoking around. No yoking around. And by going through the ritual of extracting the egg, it does nothing to your diet. But it it puts your mind in a serious mind state. And that is medicine in a strange way. Like, I really think that, uh, that the language has more potency than any actual changing of your diet. I could see that. I mean, I'm, I'm Bofield Tuner. I'm working on people's stories all the time. So in this scene, uh, they start walking through the hallways. Mobius is all flustered and they arrive at this place in the bottom right, the automat. And Mobius is like, throws his hands up. Where are we? And Loki's like, I was following you. And Mobius was like, I was following you. But obviously Mobius was in front, <laughs> you know, so he's fall- Um, So here they are in the automat. and. That's another seven reference, actually. So we've established in the past, other than the fact that seven is the number of Zion, so it's important to this episode, but we've established that Mobius is a seven on the Enneagram with a shadow of gluttony. (laughs) And to prove that, as it's proven out many times in the show, he unconsciously travels to the place in the TVA that has sweets because he's expressing the shadow because he's frustrated. He's having a hard time. (laughs) This whole joke where Mobius is like, where are we? I was following you. Uh, it it definitely demonstrates that he was following not Loki, but his own unconscious impulse to self soothe with some seven style gluttony. <laughs> you could even say Mobius was acting automatically, and it led him to the automat. It's highly important. So let like let's get into what is an automat because this is so important. Uh, it's from the word automata which is a self-propelled device that follows a predetermined sequence of operations automatically. <laughs> it's wild how many layers this allegory goes in this show, particularly this episode, uh, particularly the idea of the sacred timeline, that everything is predetermined and must happen only the way it's supposed to. That's the TVA's original prime directive. And this predeterminism is essentially describing a universe that is a vast automaton only able to do the things it's programmed to do. So automats as like a cafeteria are, they're vending machine cafeterias invented in Germany and then became briefly popular in the U.S. as well before the fast food revolution really put them out of business. But it's fascinating that these two things are kind of merging 
in just the recent year or two as McDonald's around the time this second season of Loki was being created had just began deploying its first fully automated locations. What do you know? McDonald's going fully automated. First, it was in Denver, and then they have one in Texas. I don't know if there's more yet, but amazingly, later in this episode, a big chunk of the plot takes place in a, you guessed it, McDonald's. (laughs) So studying the history of automatons is a fascinating thing in itself. Probably something Gabe knows a lot more about than I do. But there are accounts of automatons in the ancient writers and philosophers, some going back supposedly in China from as early as the third century BC in the Han dynasty, when they created a mechanical orchestra for the emperor that's made out of hydraulic machinery. So I'll take a big Mac with the side of non-human interaction. (laughs) So yeah, they've got these, it's literally the same thing as an automat. It's just fancier. It's got more conveyor belts and, and electronics, but it's not exactly a new thing, but yeah, here we have an automat in this episode and we have a McDonald's in this episode. And what do you know? McDonald's is going automatic automated. Amazing. Man, man, what a score. I just discovered the golden arches theory of economics just a few days ago. Everybody should go and look it up. I barely understand it, but it's this, it was a absurd claim that was made in the high like international finance world, they said that uh, as long as a nation has McDonald's uh, in their accepted into their culture, that they can never be, then they will not be overthrown by all the other nations of the hegemony. uh, As long as they've accepted McDonald's in their, and so people were like, that's ridiculous. And they actually went and checked the claim. And it turns out, uh, that there was there was like one exception to the rule, but that country when they found out they were the exception, they went as fast as they could and they flipped their whole story so they could be one of the nations with with McDonald's and and everything has worked in their favor ever since. So if anybody wants to go look up the Golden Arch theory in economics, it is so crazy that that's even a thing. But let's consider that there is an uh, iconoclastic. Uh, daddy issue orange man bad wannabe who allegedly eats McDonald's every night. Mac means son of cannibalization. Donald is eating the son of Donald every night. That is that is Saturnian cannibalism, and he's just uh, he's just playing into his iconography, you know, with his swoosh Saturn swoosh uh, Saturn ringed hairdo. Um, but also, I want to mention Athanasius Kircher. This is also a nod to Athanasius Kircher, who uh, I think is really the hero of Alexandria and has had regulatory capture on innovation much longer than we think. Uh, so, yeah, because, Chance, we've we've kind of sussed out that Sylvie's name is a hail to the automated Baphomet, Sylvie. The Baphomet machine is said to have lifted its arm and be able to say the word, Selvi, how you doing? What's up in Italian? So, yeah, I think that's her name is all hailing back to Athanasius in his, uh, he had a museum of mechanical wonders, but okay, I'll stop there. Yeah, we need to do like a whole deep dive on that guy eventually. 
the curture of it all. But here, this is incredible. The high priestess card actually applies to the automaton idea because the Hebrew word for the concept, golem, letters G-L-M, the exact same letters and thus the exact same numerical value as the letter on the high priestess card, Gimel, G-M-L. So it's G-L-M or G-M-L. It's the same thing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so a golem, we know, is an automaton. I love it. <clears throat> Well, there's a placenta mystery here too, dude, because the word golem or GLM uh, one, in Hebrew one thing, one is... One thing that this brings out is the... You got it, dude. Go for it. Uh, we'll let you get it, and then I'll, I'll tell you my other stuff on this. Happened me. Okay, okay. I missed a little there. I got zapped for a second. This brings okay, up the great. clean hands of equity. Uh, Hera is white-armed Hera. Nice, nice. White-armed Hera. She has uh, clean hands, and uh, her scroll is, in my read, from the Greek lens, that scroll is uh, Peloponnesian War, the history of the Peloponnesian War. And it has the, the history of what equity means. And that is uh, that you have your hands clean from a crime and you didn't, you don't have, there's no proof that you did it. It was influence that cannot be proven that had somebody else do the the dirty work for you. That's what a golem is. A golem is designed to operate in the public so it can go and uh, cause a disturbance. And then they, the public will come to you and ask you to fix it. And so this is also what your ID is. Your your wallet is your permission to be in the public causing a disturbance, operating in the public. And once you put your golem out there, it's answering for your actions. And so the golem is the uh it's the tan and ivor between public and private. It's the uh it bridges that gap. So it's perfect for the golem to be associated with Hera. Because she has the secret to working in equity and keeping your hands clean, and that's what the uh, that's what the priest does. He stays in the shadows while the golem goes out in the public. There's a lot to what you're saying, man. Let me let me validate that. So you're talking about the golem being, in a sense, a straw man that uh, it operates on your behalf in the public while you stay in the private, right? Or in ca- the case of you're talking about the priesthood doing something too program society in a problem reaction solution way well they're making an automaton out of the public with this programming as well but dude the the placenta mystery of it all right because you have in the whole legal sorcery of things you trade the placenta and afterbirth to the state in in, and you get the birth certificate which gives you the corporate personhood but the golem glm it means an unformed mass or lump of clay in like biblical Hebrew. That's one of the things it can mean. It can also refer to a fetus or embryo and literally refers to that (laughs) in the Bible sometimes. Like when God knew me before I was born and all that in like the book of Psalms. So what they do, what do they do in the, the folklore to animate the golem? That's a lump of clay. They They put letters on it. So this is your clay tablets with the first writing impressed upon it. You know, this is the straw man. The golem is the straw man. It's the 
the the fiction, the two dimensional identity, right? There's so much going on here, and we've we've covered how in previous episodes how many ways that this show tells you exactly about this legal sorcery of the name. I mean, we have the character Renslayer for that. You'll go back to previous episodes and and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. Uh, the fact that the golem is and is referred to as an image, an image endowed with life. That means that the Genesis Adam is a golem by definition. Um, Psalms 139.16, it says in Hebrew, your eyes saw my golem or translated as unformed substance. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, a.k.a. golem. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And there's your clay tablet. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So this is the automatic universe and concept that people are God's golems. And that's not what I believe necessarily, but it's there. And <laughs> the automaton or the golem question is probably the biggest underlying theme of the entire show. Every episode questioning, do we have free will or are we just cogs in a machine, a machine life and autonomous automaton universe that's fully predetermined? Or is the truth somewhere in the middle, a blend of both? I'm kind of in that camp. Uh, but the very first episode, you see I have a little screenshot of it at the top right. <laughs> Loki gets scanned when he enters the TVA. He enters custody, and they want to check if he's a robot. And he has a moment where he wonders, am I a robot? And I don't know it. <laughs> and that little moment encompasses the whole question that Loki, the show, is asking as a whole. And here's Mobius and Loki, who came to the automat following an unconscious drive or program. And the only choice in the whole thing, the whole automat, is a key lime pie. So there's not actually a choice. There's just the one thing. And wouldn't you believe it? I don't know who else watched the Superb Owl last night, but there was one commercial they showed more than one time. Other than the, the Chinese Temu commercial, which was hilarious, by the way. There was no subtext at all. It was just like, shop like a billionaire. You know, we'll give you slave labor prices so that you can feel like you're rich. It was like the most overt. <laughs> they don't understand, you know, like there's it's not their first language or whatever, but there was another commercial where, I don't know, some old washed up hag actress, no offense, whoever you are, maybe you're very nice. She, she's calling some customer support line and she's like, are you a robot? I want to talk to a human. And the person on the other end is like, no, I'm a human. Are you a robot? And she pauses for like a really bizarrely long time for a commercial. And she goes, I don't know how to prove if I am a robot or not. And they showed that commercial more than once. So the, <laughs> with all the AI stuff that is thrust upon our society and the, the fiction, the science fiction, that there's going to be a, a, an artificial consciousness that's like us, which is totally fiction. It's all algorithm <laughs> based. There's no, it's not like us at all. Uh, but what really the, the secret about it is that Humans get roboticized. Humans get made into automatons through programming. It's not the other way around. You don't make the machine human-like. The machines, the humans become machine-like. So it just, it really made me laugh because I had all this on my mind that the Super Bowl has a commercial about not knowing or being able to prove if you're a robot or not. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Looks like you want to jump in. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so something about uh the golem working in the public 
versus the private. Uh, if uh, folks look up what a boondoggle is, a boondoggle is basically a situation like the insurance companies where they're just set up to benefit off of uh, public money that they can uh, extract benefits and hide them away secured in the private. So the boondoggle is also a golem. Um, and you mentioned fetus, bona fetus. When you pull out your ID and you give it to the popo, that's your bona fetus. And so the faith that's operating in good faith, when you just give it up and show them, show them your little homunculus straw man. So that fetus is the faith uh, when you show bona fetus. And then also uh, the NASA logo, the one that is spelled all in one line, is called uh, the worm logo. W-O-R-M-L-O-G-O is an anagram for our golem. O-W-R-G-O-L-O-M, our golem. And that's exactly what NASA is. It's a boondoggle that they're using that logo as to extract money to the private for themselves. So, yeah, the golem is all revealed with NASA to the max. Um, and then the aspect of um, uh, Loki coming in intake and having a, a diminutive person uh, ask him if he's a robot. I just got to mention that, um, isn't it fascinating? We have another president with the, the name with uh, uh, Joseph Robonet Biden. His name is Robo and Net. <laughs> it's so amazing how people actually believe that these are the names of human beings when in fact they're just power implements. He's literally putting a Biden and a hunter's net in his hand up on that stage. And I'm not uh I'm not giving power to the end to the actor. I'm talking about the iconography and the the collective uh channeling of attention that the presidential mantle uh, imbues, regardless of what that old man is really all about. So yeah, his name, again, has the name Robo in it, just like Reagan was around when they were putting Star Wars ray guns up in the sky. You know, they're putting these in your heavens. They're putting these words in your heavens, very functionally. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, and I... (laughs) The uh, actor that plays Biden. I mean, I say actor because he just looks like how somebody would act if they were trying to act like they had dementia in a comedic way. I think it's all comedy. I think that's, you know, like the comedy and tragedy of it all. I think it's I think it's all uh, intentionally comedy and then people interpret it as tragedy and that's on them. <laughs> you know, like it's this weird. It's a very yes. spiritual thing. Yes. Um, it's a tangent. maybe. Not to go down, but go ahead. I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to, maybe we could summarize it with uh, the term militarized irony. I think it's militarized irony. It's so bad that it's it's on them if they believe it, that it's actually, yeah, man, it, it, sometimes stupidity should hurt. Uh, I just, I feel bad when people I love fall for it too. Right. The. It's Socratic irony. I mean, that's what even conspiracy culture is in a lot of ways, where the conspiracy narratives are are woven into society and given to people who are are 
credulous and then they run with it because they know one thing that they don't want to believe what everyone else believes. I'm not a conformist. I'm a punk. Meanwhile, the whole punk movement is run by the Tavistock Institute. <laughs> like we got, we talked about that in the previous half of this episode. The Socratic irony is where you basically, uh, you feign ignorance or you, you do some sort of a feint that entices the other person into making a statement that you can then challenge. It's, and that's what it is. Cause like you give people, uh, <laughs> enough, um, everyone, everyone in Hollywood is a tranny and then you get them to believe that even though maybe like a lot of them are, you know, maybe Michelle Obama really is looks like it, but then you give them that statement, uh, you know, and they start saying like, well, Chris Pratt, he's a tranny. But you can challenge that statement or Owen Benjamin's a tranny. You can definitely challenge some of these statements. So you like you seed somebody who's credulous with their uh, by acting in a certain way that causes them to then make statements that can be challenged. And then it discredits everything else. They say that's basically in a nutshell how truth is hidden in plain sight. It's seeded into conspiracy culture along with a bunch of bullshit. And people repeat the bullshit and the truth. But then the truth can be disputed because it's mixed in with all the bullshit big time. Now I want to highlight this yes, comment from yes. the great what? old world Micmac who said robot L to R switch lobot lobotomy robotomy lobotomy. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same idea. You know, your human humanity, your agency being replaced by a program and lobotomy does the same thing. Scrambles your frontal cortex, no longer have that thing that that higher mind that makes you human. It's very much so the case. Oh, I think we got to, I think we got to keep going forward, dude. We got a long way to go. <laughs> so they yeah, get buddy. into this, uh, they, they get into the automat and everything's key lime pie. The pies are in these little boxes, a little pie house. Uh, this is probably why they called the mouth, the pie hole, right? Because the letter pe or in Greek pie, it means mouth in Hebrew. <laughs> And thinking about this uh, box that the pie is in, this house that the pie is in, made me realize the letter pay has the letter bet hiding within it. So here's at the top of the Hebrew letter pay, their, their letter P. And you look at the shape of the, the inside of the outline, and it's an awful lot like the letter bet. And we also know from our philological studies and, you know, that we've talked about in many episodes, you can swap P and B. Those letters switch in certain languages. And here you see that they're actually like this strange cutout of one another. I found that really interesting. Um, and this, this might relate in some sense to one of the more rare meanings of the letter pay being womb, oddly enough. So, cause bet is house, right? Uh, but pay can mean womb, but it's also mostly mouth. Anyway, <laughs> we got to talk more about this. <laughs> Valentine's Day is in two days, guys. This Valentine's Day, I want you all to find someone who looks at you the way Mobius looks at this key lime pie. <laughs> like, like that is the look of absolute adoration, love, maybe a little desperation. <laughs> and <laughs> I think uh, I think Mobius might be somewhat inspired by Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, who also loves pie. A suit wearing dude investigating uh, strange mysteries. That that show would be good to cover someday. It is it is rich and filling. Uh, but we got to talk about Mobius and the value of pie. We've brought this up in previous episodes, but Mobius is clearly a seven in the enneagram. 
when we decode uh, the gematria of his name using the septenary cipher, the one based in sevens, because he's a seven, the word Mobius equals 22, which divided by seven, 22 divided by seven gives you the transcendental number 3.14 pi. <laughs> uh, the Latin name for, for lime, uh, more referential to the type of mineral lime, is cal- calcis or calcus. So the key calcus pi. <laughs> <laughs> instead of lime, key calcus pi. The key to this riddle is to calculate pi. Uh, and clearly the circular, circular nature of the room is important. This room is shown three times in the series, as far as I can recall. And each time they enter this room from somewhere else, even though it appears to only have one way in or out. So there's this strange, um, you know, kind of below the surface thing. You can notice that this appears to be the heart of the TVA. I, it's a it's a bold claim. I know like the real heart is the loom and all that, but this is in some way a, like a another type of center, some sp- spiritual center to the TVA. I did some experimenting numerically with the number pi uh, for fun, and I found that the first 12 digits of pi added together equal 52, which is fascinating. That seems to reflect the circle of the year, the 12 months or 52 weeks of the year. Or if you just multiply 3.1, uh, 3 times 1 times 4, you get a 12. 3.14 in Hebrew would be G-A-D or Gad, which is uh, another way of saying God. And speaking, <laughs> speaking of automatons and AI, I heard about when I was doing research, a Star Trek episode where an evil spirit takes over a computer and Spock destroys it by making it calculate to the last digit of pi. And... Wildly enough, because this episode's about Brad Wolf, that episode of Star Trek is called Wolf in the Fold. Hmm? <laughs> the first 144 digits of pi, a very sacred number, is 666 when summed. So, hey, that's fun. And, uh, you know, then we, uh, Chaney just showed up in the chat. Perfect. We're about to talk about Florida. What's up, Chaney? He's great timing. Great timing. Maybe you can add, like, your thoughts about. <laughs> Key lime pie, because I'm like, why is it specifically key lime pie that is the exclusive singular option in this automat? And that's a huge Florida thing. Florida has the key limes. Supposedly, it invented the key lime pie. Well, I should say like one. Supposedly, supposedly it invented key lime pie. <laughs> if Juan's lurking, I hope I hope he's here for that. Love you, buddy. Uh, Florida's also got palm trees. That's really important to the the mythos and phoenix of it all. But the key lime, its Latin name is Citrus Arantifolia, which is kind of a cool Latin word. The, uh, <laughs> Pain is like, are Mobius and Loki the same person in a weird, never-ending loop? Funny you say that. <laughs> Loki is kind of everybody in this show. He's, uh, he's the higher self of everybody. But Arantifolia, the Latin name for the key lime, it's got the word aura in it, which is wind, or in Latin, aranti is orange, or you could take out of the middle of that anti, which is before, and folia is leaves. So I don't know why they named the key lime arantifolia, but if you break all that out, it could mean wind before leaves, or orange wind leaves, or wind orange leaves, something weird. But there's kind of a riddle there in the Mobius of it all that the question of like, 
is there such a thing as wind before there's leaves to blow in it? You know, like a chicken or an egg Mobius type of question. And yeah, key lime is specific to the Florida keys. Um, and Mobius himself, he's completely refreshed and renewed by the key lime pie. Very Phoenix. Like we had a Phoenix, uh, a very direct Phoenix thing happened in the previous episode. This is kind of Mobius's Phoenix moment in a way. He's getting refreshed. Uh, the palm tree is the Phoenix tree in the ancient mythos that happens to be a native Florida tree, which adds some credence to the old world Florida uh, narrative and things like that of the, the, you know, that the ancient, the, the old, old world really was set in Florida. I could, I don't know. I could see it. It's in quite a, there's like a weird, definitely a weird symmetry between Florida and Italy. And I could see that being some sort of East and West mirror of each other. Uh, so the key lime pie is a native Florida thing. There's the there's a palm tree on the Florida seal that's on this flag here. Florida is the sunshine state, and I do see a solar riddle here, consistent to the phoenix and the palm tree possibilities. There's a checkered floor for one, and that's like a chessboard, which a chessboard has eight by eight squares, sixty four in total. Mobius here is putting pie in his pay, <laughs> pay meaning mouth. The uh, the Greek letter pay is also called pi. So there's a pi pi or pay pay thing going on. PP, the value of pay or pi is 80, 80 times 80. So there's two of them is 640. That's the Hebrew number of the sun, Shamash, which is spelled Samek Mem Samek. We also get this whole P squared thing, PP, later in the series, which we'll talk about when we get to that episode, but a little preview. Where Mobius is from on the sacred timeline, he works at Piranha Power Sports, which is PP64. The 64 is also a reference to automatons because computers operate on 64-bit systems. I could go on about this, but I just wanted to you know, give a little flavor of it all. Uh, gave you what you got something? Woo, buddy! So much. This is so fun because I was really coming up short in this scene. I didn't have much. I would, th- you know, I. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't say it out loud. It's on the slide. The Let me say one more thing, buddy. Let me say one more thing. Palm tree is in septenary. Palm yeah. is seven, and tree is twenty-two. Yeah. So the twenty-two divided by seven thing is literally encoded in the word palm tree. I, I, I didn't say that out loud. Right. It's just on the just on the slide. Yeah. Yes, that's my target. That's where I'm trying to, that's where I'm going to come back around and land on because uh, I'm so glad you got the numbers out. And just uh, so the, so everybody knows, I love that, you know, chance is septenary uh, vision. He sees it first. I see the, I see ordinal and ordinal reduced first. And I think that's good because we cover more ground. I would not have picked this out. And of course it's septenary because it's got the pie. Uh, pie loves the septenary cipher. It does. It really prefers the septenary, and that's all good. Um, so I, yeah, I was having a hard time placing the scene uh, because I wanted to go with the pavo uh, because the peacock has a hundred uh, eyeballs, like all all these little squares might be the 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 peacock. I think I would have been wrong if I'd have guessed that. I'm going with this scene is hangman card which is uh, the motif of Loki. Uh, Loki, He's played the hangman quite a few times. Uh, but also, 
we got really strong graphics with the um because you got the squares you know the grid of that room is so hangman and it's where they go to hang out it's got the key lime color to it you know uh this is very much like a lounge of sorts but then the colors also have a lot of this death card uh corresponding to it and there is sugar on every table there's actually a sugar dispenser on every single table um which sugar is an anagram for argus uh so the hundred-eyed uh giant of argus who gets sung to sleep by loki might also be kind of intrinsic or not sung to sleep by Hermes. That also might be somewhere in the background, but I just wanted to bring the motif of these two cards uh, because they are both in my territories. They're both correspondent to Scorpio, which is the Florida, uh, the, the, uh, the whole state of Florida is the flaccid Scorpio tail of the United States. Hangman card, death card, bingo, bango. Now, Let's subtract the word palm from the word tree. 22 minus 7 gives you 15. How many books are in the books of Psalms? Psalms has 150, 150 chapters, 1-5. And then you multiply 15 by itself, you, you uh, square 15, and you get 225. That's the orbital period of Venus. Uh, so, yeah, it's a whole lot of sacred numerology all right up in here. Dude, Cheney just dropped this in the chat that she counted the uh, pie boxes on the wall, at least from what we can see in this shot. There's 52, 13 times four. So there's the 52 that I was bringing up when. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where did I even find? Oh, yeah. The first 12 digits of pie equaling 52. Damn. Damn. Thanks for the super chat, Rachel. Thank you so much. Nice. Best supporter. I love you, Rachel. You're the best. I'm having nice. fun. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I want to, since we're talking about the solar encode of it, of the uh, 64 and Shamesh 640. Well, if we're going to look into 73s and how 73s relate to the Gimel, the Greek letter Gamma is the equivalent to the Hebrew Gimel. And when you look at the swastika, which is a symbol of the circuit of the sun, it's four gimels. <clears throat> four times three is a 12. Each G being like three months combined into four seasons. Um, <laughs> the word Galilee, gimel, lamed, yod, lamed. It means the circuit of the sun. So when you hear like Jesus of Galilee, <laughs> Jesus on the circuit, <laughs> right? That's, uh, it seems clear that he's like the S-U-N of God. So this, the, the thing that programs the universe with its energy is the sun. And it does that in the circuit of the seasons with 12 stations representing the different parts of the program of the year. The swastika being made of four gammas or four threes, 12 months, four seasons of three months each. Got to shout out Dylan for mentioning this swastika made of four gimmels in or four gammas <laughs> in uh, the last episode. That was a great clue. Highly relevant. Love that. Um, and then in this scene, there's a role reversal where we're calling back to the first two episodes of season one where Mobius was psychoanalyzing Loki and trying to help him find the good in himself while he's in a dark place. And now the tables have fully turned and Mobius is in a dark moment and depressed and being encouraged by Loki to find the good in himself. So that's a Mobius 
loop in and of itself. He uh, Mobius admits that his blow up at Brad, where he slapped him in the face, was not tactical and he lost it. Loki empathizes with him by recalling the alien invasion of New York from the Avengers movie where he also lost it. <laughs> uh, Mobius in this point, you know, Loki's asking him, you never wanted to visit your place on the timeline. And Mobius says, it's the last thing he should be thinking about. I'd like to thank the guy who kidnapped me and brought me here. Got me this pie. So he's in deep denial of the truth. He does not want to know who he is in the real world. He's purposefully staying asleep, which is why Brad's verbal jabs about you need to wake up, man. were able to trigger him so profoundly. Mobius, you need to wake up. And what I see in this show is a clear correlation between Mobius and Morpheus. The word Mobius allegedly comes from a German mathematician of the same name, but I wonder about that because it has a huge similarity to the word Morpheus. You just do the PB switch and maybe a little accent that gives a bit of an R sound in there. <laughs> you know, it's just a slightly different way of saying it. And Mobius becomes Morpheus or vice versa. Morpheus is the god of dreams in Greek mythology. So the, uh, the guy who came up with the idea of the Mobius strip mathematically, according to the mainstream narrative. His name is August Ferdinand Mobius. And his name, August, is the name of the eighth month. The glyph for the number eight is identical to the Limnascate, a.k.a. the infinity symbol, which is a representation of the Mobius. When you really think about it, other than the fact that Mobius and Morpheus are basically the same word with the PB swap totally allowed in philology, Morpheus the Greek god of sleep, right? But his name comes from the word for forms, morpho. And when you think about the parallel of Mobius as Morpheus and Loki as Neo, I mean, it lines up. It really lines up because he's waking uh, Loki up from the illusion of his ego that he was a, a villain and, you know, not non-rehabable. Uh, the, the idea, though, of the Mobius strip goes back to the god Kronos, or sometimes the Greeks called him Aeon. <clears throat> so the, the macrocosmic allegory here that I read out of all this, especially when you're comparing Mobius and Morpheus, is that the god of time, the creator of all forms, Morpho, he fell asleep within his own creation and he doesn't want to wake up. Instead, opting to experience the endless metempsychosis or reincarnation on the wheel of time and the program of the Zodiac. So Mobius, he's worried about if I find out who I was on the real world, what if it was, you know, Loki's like, I get it. If it was something bad, that'd be hard to deal with. And Mobius is like, no, if it was bad, that'd be great. Then I could just stay where I'm at and not worry about it. But what if it's something good that I'm missing out on? You think I want to have that rattling around up here? So Mobius doesn't want to know the good. He doesn't want to discover his own God self. Uh, and the Mo back to the Mobius strip. That word strip, it means to remove the clothes or deprive of covering. So the Mobius strip is a symbol that uncovers the nature of time, taking it from the idea of a line into a cycle, a repeating cycle. The God of time, the repeating cycle, Aeon. Uh, stripping, interestingly enough, is also the removal of screw threads or of a gear whose wheels lose their grip, which causes the screw or the gear to circle endlessly without change when turned, when, when it's stripped, like a Mobius. It's just endlessly circling. <laughs> Amazingly, I was looking into it, and 
history's famous people with the last name of Mobius? Turns out they're almost exclusively mathematicians and astronomers. So that's weird. Uh, another fascinating concept, too, is the B to V swap in philology, which turns Mobius, swap the B into a V, what do you get? The movies. <laughs> the, uh, the TVA is the TV. Don't forget. <laughs> He's dedicated to the TV. And a movie is projected. Wow. Right? And what's a movie? A movie is projected by a film strip on a wheel, which is a Mobius. Movies. Mobius. It's wild, dude. There's so many levels to this. And, and also, uh, Mobius is what you put over a child, a mobile, a mobile. You put over the child to keep them pacified in their crib. Uh, so th- that also has a mobile. Helps aspect. them sleep. Mor- Morpheus and helps them sleep. I. Yes, yes. This is so fascinating how entertainment is also entrainment, you know, and they can run these patterns over and over. But on another level, I do appreciate seeing a film multiple times and going deeper and deeper into analysis of the film. That really is part of the the beauty of this. Uh, On one side of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, they're infantilizing us. And on the other side of my mouth, I'm like, I might have to watch this again to get, to get deeper. So yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Weave, man. We have permission to have fun. You know, I think that's a big part of why God stays asleep at the wheel, so to speak. Retain, returning to the metempsychosis again and again, your higher self, just continuing to run the drill. I mean, if you want to watch a movie multiple times, isn't that the same idea as reincarnating multiple times? I think so. And there's always more to get out of it. There's always layers of synchronicity that weren't intended, but emerged through anyway. And there's different patterns. And then once you start to pull on the threads of those patterns, they just start to explode there's so much. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, nice one. So, Beyond so I language sent you, says I sent, form and I morph. Form and morph. Morph means form, and form is a anagram of morph. That's really good. Good stuff. I just was. I was just reading today. I sent you one in the Telegram. Can you pull it up, Chance, in our personal? Uh, I was just reading about uh, Plato's Republic. They actually. They decided not to call it Plato's realm of ideas. They used specifically the word forms, uh, probably because they have that morphic uh, not decided. They're not as cut and dry as we think they are, higher orders of thinking. So, yeah, they did not call it the Plato's realm of ideas. And if you think that you can get in and understand it as a realm of ideas, you're missing the mark because it's more nebulous than that at these higher orders of thought. And that's why it's the forms and not ideas. Okay. But I just wanted to weave a little bit on the cicadas because just a second ago, he said, remember when I got all upset and I dragged a bunch of aliens down and held, took New York uh, hostage that is triggering our memory to the cicadas. All those monsters flying and uh, blacking out the skyline from the old Marvel series, they don't even have to spend the money to give you a flashback. All they have to do is sit back and eat pie and say, yeah, remember when I did 
remember that episode and there's a flash in your mind. So I just wanted to put that reference back to uh, the Age of Ultron into the context of the cicadas again. They very subtly seeded uh, a sky sky, uh, horizon covered in insects and disgusting bugs. And it's so fascinating that the cicadas actually look like those aliens from that series. Like their their crusty, crazy-looking shell is correspondent to whatever those aliens were. And everybody's talking about UFOs. It's going to be a wild spring. I'm just glad I know it's uh it's all part of the show. Uh man. I it's like looking into cicadas of New York because 2012. It's like the cicadas come out in 2012 in New York. One of them is called the uh there's different species, right? One's called Neo cicada hieroglyphica. Hieroglyphica. Well, the hieroglyphic cicada. Double. Double. Hieroglyphica, hieroglyphica. So weird. Yeah. There's, wow. There's something up there. Wow. And then some some of them are called pharaohs. That's a trip. That's a trip. So back to where we're at there. <laughs> they dropped the subject about where Mobius comes from on the sacred timeline. And they begin theorizing about what Brad Wolf may know about Sylvie and what his motivations are. They decide... Brad probably did find her, but he didn't turn her in because he wanted more time to live out his best life as a famous actor on the sacred timeline. So they agreed to take another run at Brad and this time with godly mischief up their sleeve. Oh, boy, you're going to love this, dude. Okay, Gabe. Ready? So then we get a cut to. The loom, the room where the loom is at, and we get a Rukin figure of Ouroboros entering the room. <laughs> the Rukin figure being the uh, the shadowy backlit shot, and it like the famous Rukin figure is on Mount Brocken, where there's a Brocken specter. <laughs> Ouroboros, by the way, his name's identical to the idea laid up in the name Ouroboros. So he's entering this loom room with his device intended to fix it. And then the next thing we see after his Rukin figure is the loom itself. And it's got this like rainbow spectrum thing going on. That's exactly color wise and like the radiance and circles of it all. It's exactly like the Brocken specter of Mount Brocken. And (laughs) I don't remember what Gabe has had to say in the past exactly about correlating the projection that happens when you stand on the peak of Mount Brocken and look down at the clouds below and you see your own shadow with this specter of, of rainbow, this halo, or they call it glory on, on yourself. But anyway, <laughs> the Brocken specter, I know Gabe will probably fill us in a little better, but it is definitely akin to the idea of television, which the TVA represents. And when we see the symbol of the Brocken specter and this glory effect as the loom is producing, we also have the idea of chasing your own shadow or chasing your own tail, which is what Ouroboros means is the snake eating his own tail. It's what he's doing because he's uh, it's established in the scene that he needs to fix the temporal. He needs to fix the loom. And to do that, he needs the temporal aura of the person who created the TVA in order to fix it. So he's at the end and he's trying to find the beginning, <laughs> the snake chasing its own tail. Uh, and there's this poem from Samuel Taylor Coleridge called constancy to an ideal object and in the conclusion of the poem 
the image of the Brock inspector comes forth. He says, And art thou nothing? Such thou art, as when the woodman, winding westward up the glen at wintry dawn, where o'er the sheep tracks maze the viewless snow mist weaves a glistening haze, sees before him, gliding without tread, an image with a glory round its head. The enamored rustic worships its fair hues, not knowing, nor knows, he makes the shadow he pursues. <laughs> so, the Brock Inspector, in poetically, and he, this isn't the only person who said this, uh, Young says it, like, um, poetically, it represents chasing yourself. It, Carl Young, in his book Memories, Dreams, Reflections, he writes, And I had a dream which both frightened and encouraged me. It was a night in some unknown place, and I was making slow and painful headway against a mighty wind. Aura boros. Aura means wind. Dense fog was flying along everywhere. I had my hands cupped around a tiny light, which threatened to go out at any moment. Suddenly, I had the feeling that something was coming up behind me. I looked back and saw a gigantic black figure following me. When I awoke, I realized at once that the figure was a specter of the Brocken, my own shadow on the swirling mists, brought into being by the little light I was carrying. So, this is so key to uh, Young's entire philosophy, that there's, <laughs> your shadow is chasing you as much as you're chasing your own shadow. And the shadow is the part of your, yourself, the unconscious part of yourself that is beyond your control. And it comes in many forms in life. It's the events that you never wanted to happen and they happen anyway. But if you're making, <laughs> you know, if you make friends with your shadow, it might bring you events outside your control that are to your benefit, right? But there's so much to this. The Brock Inspector represents chasing yourself. This has a, a specter glory going on in this shot. The main characters are literally all engaged in the chase for their true self. Loki, B-15, Sylvie, Mobius, Ouroboros, Renslayer, Brad, Wolf. All of them chasing shadows, trying to find out who they are outside of the illusion created by the TV, parentheses A, <laughs> the projection, the specter. So much going on with that. Uh, Gabe, do you want to take a rip in here? Uh, if you look like you might. I don't know. I know you're big bro. Help me understand maybe your thoughts on the Brock Inspector and TV or the TVA. All right. Yeah, the chat, man. The chat's like barely even chatting. You know, they're just ripping. Shop right now. This is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you reminded us of the fact that it's the glory. The the halo of the Brock Inspector is called the glory. And that uh, ref is a reference back to Cleo, the muse of history. Um, and uh, yes, when you stand on Mount Brocken, not only is there a shadow, but the shadow is encased in a beautiful rainbow effect as well. Uh, and so it's not just shadow play. It's also light refracting in very uh, powerful ways, mysterious ways. That location, uh, Mount Brocken, is ground zero uh, for the uh, the meeting of the witches originally in mythology uh in many of the countries in that area 
they believe in this sacred meeting of the witches, the flight of the witches, where they would all get together for these ceremonies and rites and rituals to meet in the psychic space. And of course, the Jesuits believed they were getting it on with the devil. Well, it turns out some of the magic potions they were using on their broomsticks were going in the other end to circumvent the digestive system. So some of the medicinal applications of uh, of the psychedelics were actually pretty much true. <laughs> some of the craziest parts of the witch trials are actually true. And that's profound that there were people using broomsticks to uh, apply medicines that took them to places I don't ever want to go. But <laughs> so the broomstick of this torch becomes highly psychedelically significant. And all of the plausible deniability of, oh, witches and brooms, yeah, that's silly. No, 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 you just weren't adult enough to think your way through this. Those broomsticks were medicinal application devices. This gets so profound. And you better believe if they were able to meet in a certain location because of this medicine, that the Jesuits want that medicine locked down pronto, post-haste. So the witch trials are not a bunch of hullabaloo, just like the satanic panic is not a bunch of hullabaloo. People just haven't thought it through yet. They want to take the first comfortable turn off the trail. I've gone down this trail much further than most. (laughs) So this torch, this uh, becomes also symbolic of the Olympics. The Olympics were uh, first broadcast worldwide, I think in 1936, I might be wrong, but the first international Olympics broadcast was on a sacred tower on the top of Mount Brocken, and this is broadcasting the shadow of Plato's caves onto the walls of every mind in the world. And it is so profound because we're coming up on a very significant Olympics Uh, coming up this year. Um, So yeah, they are signifying again, the passing of this torch. And in the language of the muses, a torch is a symbol of receptivity. If you are receptive to the uh, propaganda of the day, then you're holding a torch waiting to to be signified from your PCR test. You're like, yeah, you're standing in line and you want to hold that torch. You want a freedom torch and march along with the collectivism of it all. So the secret is uh, not to be receptive to the spell. Don't be holding the torch for the next uh, the next campaign that's coming your way. All right, big weave, big weave. Oh, like at the Super Bowl last night, where this big torch is at the stadium, <laughs> and then they hit you with all the commercial high budget programming. <laughs> receptive, you say? That's a good man. That's that, a good weave, man. That, should bring it back up. Tor- I, I was kind of quick about that it. torch. Looked yeah. a whole lot like a. F- look, looks like a flashlight to me. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a yoni. Hundred percent. I see it too. <laughs> I see it too. So where you stick your broomstick, I guess. <laughs> uh, man, what else is there? There's so, there's so much going on with the. I'm glad you you brought up the torch imagery of this. The loom, that's really good. Never really thought about that. Uh, But, you know, there's something going on here 
where what you see when you see the glory on Mount Brocken is really your own self, your shadow, right? You're chasing yourself. And what this loom is, is all these threads of time being woven together. And that's deeply symbolic, <laughs> like probably the last thing people want to think about or, or accept or that just to make sense to them is that yourself, the high, like the deepest aspect of what you are, the capital S self is time. <laughs> it's not like in time. It is time. That's the, that's the hard thing to wrap your head around. And the, the lack of acceptance of our self as time is what keeps us in this perpetual chase race with time and feeling separated from ourself. Like there's such a huge, huge can of worms to open with that. And it's like, it takes a particular energetic coherence to even like properly articulate it. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just move forward because we have so many other things to talk about, but I love it. Uh, we got, Next, we are in the same room. We see uh, Ouroboros. He's getting on a computer, and he sees that he's got the access denied. Access denied. He can't do what he's trying to do. And he, on his screen, I see this number 77. There's actually a lot of numbers on here, right? I could have picked any of them to try to explore the meaning of the number. And there's probably something there. I mean, there's no such thing as insignificant symbolism. but what jumped out at me about the 77 was that I was on slide number 77 when I took this screenshot. So I was like, all right, let's think about 77. Well, it turns out one of the meanings of 77, such a cool synchronicity, uh, is the word Gihon or Gimel, Yod, Het, um, Vav, Nun, Gihon. And that means a stream. It's actually one of the streams of paradise, one of the rivers of paradise. Because it's a river of paradise, it's overflowing. So the word Gihon, it means an over, it means overflowing or a stream or an overflowing stream. And here in this scene, the time stream is overflowing. <laughs> it's overloading the loom. Uh, I find that interesting. And the fact that it's a name of one of the rivers of paradise, obviously the TVA is this like eternal thing outside of time. So there's a correlation there. Other words in Hebrew that equal 77 relate to the idea of structures or destructive forces that break down structures, which is something rivers and streams are able to do. I feel like there's something here probably to inform us in the gematria of it all with Capricorn, the goatfish or the river goat, considering that Oz, I-N, Zion, <laughs> it equals 77 and it means goat. So I think there's something there, you know, goat in a form and Capricorn and Saturn. Um, but we we leave this scene and we find ourselves back in Brad's interrogation chamber. Here he is having some meditation. That's hey, Gemel, Yad, Gemel, E-G-I-G, equals 21, means meditation. <laughs> Remember, the 73 is the 21st prime. So 21 is wrapped up in the ideas of the high priestess. He's here doing that. and. Uh, and oh man, this is my favorite dude. Get ready. <laughs> Loki and Mobius roll into Brad's room with a weapon, a Zion, uh, to extract. He, they're there to extract information from Brad that they need. Zion is 67. 
67 is the goetic demon Vina, which occultists say has the ability to answer questions on secrets, witches, and events past, present, and future. Well, Sylvia's a witch, and they need to know the secret of where to find her, somewhere in the past, somewhere in the present, or the future. So they're seeking understanding, which is the Kabbalistic Sephirat known as Bina. Bina is understanding. It's the same word as Vina with the V to B swap. And even though the Hebrew spelling of Bina is different than Vina, it still equals 67, which shows the wild level of numerical consistency for these concepts in Kabbalism. And I thought, you know, it's interesting that Sigmund yeah, Freud, who did his own sort of interrogating to seek understanding, <laughs> well, he's from Vienna, pretty much the same word as Bina or Vina. Incredibly, Sigismund Freud equals Man. 67 Dude. in Septenary Gematria. I did not know that until I thought of Vienna, oh. just because it sounds like Vina. And then I thought of Freud and I added up his name. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's a 67. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. And do you see Dude, this? This is huge. Vina, this could. This illustration of the demon Vina on this horse. Do you see like the, simpl- the, the similarity of Loki pushing this machine in and the, the lion headed <laughs> demon riding the horse? Um, and totally. we see this again later in the episode, totally. actually. So don't let me forget about the lion and the horse. It has to do with a lion and a boat that shows up later to just sort of double encode this Vina okay. uh, goetic demon. Okay. All right. Uh, so the sixth prime number is, uh, 13. The seventh prime number is 17. Those are the categories of the cicada brutes that are coming to make everybody go crazy. Uh, so we've, we've established that earlier that the six and the seven are the two, uh, uh, numbers of the cicada brood cycles that are meeting up for the first time in 221 years. Uh, the vanity, I want to mention the vanity of the end of Brad. Uh, they're about to uh, churn out the vanity and get the wine. They're going to put, put him in the wine press and get him to whine and complain. And he's going to cry and they're going to loose those tears. Uh, Freud is known. He is uh, indelibly infused with the umbrella. Specifically, somebody, I forget who, they said, uh, I, the last thing I want in my life is some shrink with a, Vien- with a Venetian umbrella. So somebody put an umbrella in his hands, uh, signifying that it's sexual. So they put uh, some kind of umbrella in Freud's hands because it extends, it opens up, it, you know, it gives, yeah, it gives shadow. It brings out shadow, uh, all these aspects of the umbrella. Um, but the the fact that Freud's name and Vienna and the Bina, dude, this is a huge umbrella of thought that many oh, grapes come off uh, of a vine. To. The grape of it all. Yes. You're talking about they're pressing yes, Brad they're... in like a wine press. Did you know back to 73, the uh, Galilee, that's where Jesus did the water uh-huh. to wine miracle is a place called Galilee. So 73 also is holding the idea of the water into wine. Totally. 
Yes, yes. Wow, man. That Bina and Freud are forever woven together right here. This is so profound. And the six and the seven of the cicada thing is kind of alarming to me. But this is great. This is great, man. <laughs> it is. It, it was alarming to me when I... Because I was just like, oh, I'll just type it into the geometric calculator. Who knows? You know, maybe there's a, a remote chance I'll get a 67. Actually, it was a 67. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I just love that. I mean, the Freud of it all. He's seeking understanding, interrogating people, psychoanalyzing people. So cool. Uh, okay. So I also want to point out that in this interrogation chamber, this is something Jennifer noticed. So shout out to her. I probably don't give her credit to all the ideas that she supplies to these things. As, as she said in the chat, I was talking about the Freud sink all day after I found it. Just, it blew my mind, but the uh, rooms here, right? Brad is in this interrogation chamber. It's very rectangular, 90 degree angles. He's laying on a grid. And then in these other rooms that are prominent in the episode that we're covering and other rooms that I don't have shot up here, they are more circular or just not necessarily 90 degree corners. And you probably have all heard, but the, the 90 degrees is considered the angles of sorrow. The dome or the circular structure is more harmo harmonious to life, <laughs> keeps the bugs out. So they're, you know, they're interrogating him. They want to observe him. They're bugging Brad. And if you ask Topher, he lived in Costa Rica in the jungle, right? The circular rooms, they were bug-free. You weren't getting bugged in there. But these boxy rooms, the you know, the demons, the bugs, they all they congregate in the corners, the angles of sorrow. So Brad's not having a very good time in here. <laughs> uh it's not as not as nice as the circular room where they go find their piece or uh, a piece of pie, as it were. Now, in this scene, Loki then pretends to be <clears throat> He pretends to be missing the controller for this strange device that they brought into the room. And Mobius says, we can't start the festivities without that little baby. <laughs> Dark, but it's a very interesting choice of words, considering that what's about to happen is Brad is going to be reduced down to a little fetus in the fetal position. And the, the golem of it all has to do with a, a you know, fetuses and embryos and unformed masses. And if you go, let me see if I got a good shot of it. It's, it's not super clear. I don't know if I have a shot where it's super clear. Oh, here we go. This device, I know maybe this is just where my mind went, but I thought there's a very vacuum-esque type of feeling to like the, the pipe or the tube that's coming off this thing. And considering that in this episode, a bunch of branches off of the sacred timeline later in the episode that have just formed, that have just been born are are pruned there's very much this threat of abortion and abortion being how population control is managed uh and how people are coerced into giving up what the the state or the the mafia wants they go after the kids right so they're going after brad's kids in a in a sense there's something going on with that oh yeah and this room was labeled ccc so it's like you know, C cubed. There's that. That's a very squarey thing going on. So there's a Mobius leaves the room to go get the controller for this weird device. Loki locks the door behind him. 
seeming to lock him out of the room and they, they play active very well. And, uh, he devires, uh, he fires up the device. Oh, and why I said that this retro Zamboni vacuum thing reminds me of a, a, a threat of abortion or vacuum is because they do that. They actually vacuum the child out of a woman at a certain stage. So that's, hmm. I know that's not fun to think about. I'm sorry, but I, I see that on, on, I'd see that on the symbolism. It just is there. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, one other thing I was seeing, because they keep flashing the tube in the background while he's pleading uh, his case. He has the tube behind him. Uh, I think there's uh, something being said about um, somebody who is got their education off of YouTube. And Brad, being this individual know-it-all, thinks he can go it alone and, and figure it out by himself. Well, he's a self-made man. He's uh, He learned everything off of the YouTube. And so he's going to tell you that you're a nobody man. And so the, I, the fact that the tube is backing up Brad when he makes his best argument is telling me that this is like uh, when you see somebody just spitting back talking points that they probably vacuumed up off of YouTube, that they just sucked up that info. So that was something I was thinking about with, you know, what is a tube that is provocative? Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of where my thoughts went. And I sent you a bunch of pictures from this scene that you we don't have to harp on all of them, but, but you can just kind of see how this this machine, this torture device, to me, uh, fulfills the Globus Cruciger on the uh, on the Emperor card. Uh, and then the fact that he gets trapped in a, oh, this card. This is Aristophanes, the comedian. This is his description of uh, what love is. He goes through a Genesis story of the Greeks where they're all rolling around. Uh, they're the hermaphrodite, male and female fused together before they were cut. And he describes Zeus doing a stroke of genius. And he cuts them in half. This is the stroke of the Genesis of the Greeks. And then he uh, has Apollo fix them and put a belly button together so they'll never forget the scar. Uh, so, again, with the torturous nature of this uh, number four personality type, uh, it's echoed throughout the stories forever and ever. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to bring that consistency. And then you can kind of flash the other ones real quick. But these are four. Death card is four. Emperor card is number four. So this is 44 death stores. uh Envy with a shadow of envy or Leviathan. My my notes are not organized well enough for me to go find the exact word. And I'm not going to bother looking it up, but you can go find the receipt yourself. It's there in a Hebrew interlinear Bible that gives you the original Hebrew in its directest translation rather than the English translation. We get in King James Version that the woman was taken from the rib of Adam. But actually, the real Hebrew word specifies that the woman was taken from the side of Adam. They never say rib. The, the, a more, a more hmm, correct, in my opinion, interpretation is that the woman was an entire side of Adam. Just like this Genesis story that you're talking about from Aristophanes, where before Zeus splits him down the middle with the thunderbolt. That is actually 
what is going on in the Genesis story, but translators have been deceptive and created a different mythos out of the original mythos. So yeah, Wolf Micmac, Eve is his wow. side chick. Oh, that is really something. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. PK gets it. Oh, and I got to say, I'll go on on your next image. I'm going to let you finish, but PK has the greatest comment of all time. He says in the torture interrogation scene, I think that they are playing with the time and space concepts here. They grabbed Brad from a place in time and took him to a place out of time. And now they're holding him in a space and threatening to take away space completely by shrinking down his available space. That's a really good read, dude. Really good read. The vacuum of space. They're hitting him with the vacuum of space. I love you guys. You yes. make the best comments. Nice. That's hot PK fire. Is that is hot fire. Yeah, buddy. Okay, yeah. So uh the other number four card is the death card. And right in this moment, they really fulfilled the old rider weight death card. Because he's got the the darkness, he's even got a finger like uh, the flag, you know. Uh, he's even pointing at an illumination on the ceiling, uh, and then Brad is laying underneath. He like he's about to walk over his body. That is exactly what the horse rider is riding over the king in the death card. So this scene in particular was really fulfilling the death card. But even his bent leg is a hail back to the emperor card. So I'm seeing a real nice combination of death card, emperor card in this moment when Brad has succumbed. You know um, what? Oh, I think the, the, I think the reason we're both seeing uh, in La Reine La Chateau. Well, well, I think the reason we're both seeing the horse out of the scene, the horse is like the thing that he wheels in this machine, right? Because this machine makes cubes and where is totally. the cube or the arc? It's the Pegasus square. It's a horse. So I think that's why we both saw that thing as a horse without talking nice. about it. That that is that's really cool. Yeah, man, and horsepower, HP. <laughs> we got some horsepower. There's your high priestess right there. That's nice. Uh, number four and number two connect directly in the integration disintegration. The number four and the number two are inextricably bound forever. So yeah. Uh, uh, and then, oh, La Reine Le Chateau, Asmodeus, the statue, is actually has been put behind a sneeze guard. So the, the Asmodeus that we've been uh, uh, disseminating out of some of the symbols, it has a glass case around it. So the fact that Brad gets put into a glass case and then tortured so that he's screaming horribly, making the same face that Da Vinci made that the Asmodeus statue is based on that face. And so that statue is now living inside of a glass uh, vacuum container uh, forever and be like it's being tortured, just like Brad here. So I just wanted to put together the Asmodeus from La Reine La Chateau, uh, Da Vinci's carving and this perpetual torturing of the individual. Good stuff, man. There's this stuff. This is rich. Very rich. I'm having fun tonight. Thanks for being here, everybody. Okay. So here's some mischief is continuing yeah. and he's about, to, Brad's about to get the torture from the Zamboni abortion vacuum thing. He pretends, Loki pretends like he doesn't know how the device works. And 
here's uh, some screenshots of this. He presses a button or presses some buttons and a cube shaped solid energy force field appears around Brad's chair. And then it shrinks, crushing and compressing the chair down to a smaller size. You know, this isn't the first time Loki has wielded a weaponized cube. The first Avengers movie, he has the Tesseract, a weaponized cube. And what was it again? They were studying it. The uh, the government military secret black ops program that was studying this cube was Project Pegasus. No wonder we were feeling the horse energy here. <laughs> no wonder. Right. Anybody? <laughs> I swear, though, like moments, moments like this are why I wonder if this script is written by some weird Kabbalistic AI algorithm. Because remember, we're looking for 60 or 73s and 37s. And 37 is the value of the Greek word teva or teba, which is their version of the Hebrew word for Noah's Ark. Uh, Tav bet hey, 37. It's not it's not 37 in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's 407. That has its own meaning. But in Greek, it's 37. And the arc is described as a cube. But the layers are weird because the golem we already talked about is a, a fetus or an embryo. It means to roll or fold together. And here's Brad. He's getting rolled and folded together. Or if you – so that's a 73 GLM. Or if you do 37 AUL or – Aleph, Vav, Lamed, that equals 37, the reverse of 73. You get a word that means the human body being twisted or rolled. <sighs> yeah, what is that about? Now, the root is more like, more often it's used to refer to like the twisting of rope strands to make something strong, but it does have this meaning of the human body. As well, it's there. I I chased it down. I found the Strong's biblical concordances. So the layers of sync are really weird because the word he's Brad Wolf, right? In Spanish, the word for wolf is lobos. There's a P and B switch because it's lupus in Latin. Lobos means wolf, but the Greek word lobos is a pod, a pod, and here is a wolf in a pod. A lupus or a lobos in a lobos. A lobos squared and he's in a cube. Come on. He's in a square. What is going on here? (laughs) Weirder, even weirder, even weirder. There's one more. (laughs) The word in Hebrew that means a lobe is spelled Aleph Vav Nun Yad, pronounced Uni, which is basically like Yoni. I, I can't find adequate receipts to put it on the screen. But if it's true, the word that means a lobe in Hebrew is another 67. It equals 67. And it would apply to this scene. It's so crazy. So you got a wolf in a lobos in a lupus in a lobos, a lobos in a square squared. It is like, what the hell is going on here? What is going on here? Am I losing my mind or is this? (laughs) I think I think, yeah, I think we are chasing, we're chasing our tail, but that's the loop. I think that this self-referential loop, we're catching on to its current and the gyre of it is spiraling inward uh, uh, as because we don't have full affluence of all the other languages it attaches to. If we were fluent in Greek and in German and in Siberian and Swahili, 
that gyre would get bigger for us as we as we uh, chase our tail. But because we uh, thus far only have the some languages, this the gyre goes inward. It's when it could get bigger, depending on how much language you apply to it. I think this, if you applied uh, more language really to profound. it, the gyre would you know, get smaller. I actually dispute that. I think it would. I think the fact that we do have as many lenses to look at it through, it it, it is causing the love the level of consistency to become more uh-huh. obvious. Which and really, where is this like spiral looping symbolic? Uh, everything is the same story. You know, Jen's talking about yeah. it in the chat. Has like what we're discussing. She sees it in Peter Pan. She watched yesterday. Uh, there's this is the monomyth, guys. We're showing you fingerprints of the monomyth. There's really only yeah. one story. It's your story. <laughs> it's everybody's story. It's the microcosm and the mi- macro, micro. I it's that. everything. It's just one story. Yeah, yeah. I could dig it. I could dig it. Uh, because English is all encompassing. It is all allowing. So I could see the English actually causing the wide, the widening. Uh, but one thing that uh, is hit me is the human body being twisted or rolled. Chance that is literally the name of the cartwheel in Capueta. Uh, I the way that I was able to activate the fool card was by turning it upside down and realizing that the uh, ergonomics of that of uh, that kick it's actually a uh, it's not an es dobrado but it's a au mea it's an au mea lua doble de compasso. It's a oh, it's even got the word owl in it or ul. Double the alif vav lamed. It's got ul in the yes. beginning. Wow. Yes. So okay. a cartwheel. If, if Gabe is knew six Aul. languages, he would be a god. <laughs> Goat. <laughs> That would be tragic. I would be singing tragically all the time. <laughs> okay, you good? You want to move on? You got more to say about this? This is such a wild moment. Okay, because so, they're basically, they're trying to program Brad's behavior to get him to do what they want. They're they're golemizing him. GLM. They're, man, it's just such a wild scene. Really good. Anyway, you know, in classic good cop, bad cop, we find out oh, that. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Guantanamo. Guantanamo. This is the new Guantanamo Bay. This is the new Guantanamo Bay. And the word bay has been uh, front loaded heavily. Uh, Mandalay Bay, that thing in Florida with the kids, that was at a mall that is called Bay. We got uh, Joe Baden, Obama, Ha Bay, Lao Bay. A lot of Obey has been uh, plugged into our language. So yeah, Guantanamo Bay, Guantanamo Bay is also implicit to this torture. All right, now I'm done. <laughs> okay. Go forward. So, yeah, we get this whole good cop, bad cop thing. Find out Loki was never really going to crush him into a tiny little oblivion. Maybe. We see that Brad does, in fact, know where Sylvie is. She's on a branch somewhere. 
turns out to be at a McDonald's. And this whole torture thing, we we get the line that it was a hell of a performance. So therefore, it was theatrical. I bet you didn't know. I found this out today. I was doing some research that the McDonald brothers actually got their start running a theater before switching to the restaurant business. They actually, they transposed the uniforms for their workers at the theater and made those the uniforms for their McDonald's employees when they first began. So that's interesting. The theater element coming into the weave, hell of a performance. Brad is an actor, right? And then we get McDonald's. McDonald's actually started as a theater in a way. Very weird. Very weird. And then we get a, a brief scene where Casey and B-15. Oh, Gabe's coming in. I'm good. Go for it. Yep. Uh, just the number seven on the wall behind him. Uh, number four. Or excuse me. Number seven is the fourth prime number. And so they just got done priming him. And uh, the wall has this uh, number seven is the fourth prime. Um, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. But also uh, uh, the seventh prime number is 13. No, 17. Am I right? That's the next thing I need a chart of is a chart of prime yes. numbers. Just trying uh, to which track is it in my head. Hailing to the cicadas again. So there is a, a yes, yes, it is. It's kind of tricky, but so he's card number four, and the fourth prime number is seven, but the seventh prime number is uh, I think seventeen, which is one of the broods of uh, cicadas that's coming in. Okay, I'm going to move us into this scene where we get Casey and. Or when B-15, they come and meet Ouroboros in the loom room. Ouroboros is running around doing his whole The Goonies character. We're all going to die. And uh, he explains they're all going to die because the blast doors won't open to allow the repair of the loom that is necessary to prevent temporal meltdown. But first, Casey has to have a bit of a fanboy moment about meeting Ouroboros, asking for his signature specifically. Because Ouroboros is the father of the book. He wrote the book, the TVA Bible. So this would be equivalent to like getting uh, one of the apostles to sign your Bible. <laughs> so I guess it's worth taking a moment out of preventing imminent universal annihilation to ask for that. But B-15 doesn't think so. Kind of a funny moment. And the you know the power of the name being so impactful with the TVA that they're the government and the government controls through the name. And so Casey wants a little piece of Ouroboros's prestige and power by getting the autograph. Rachel in the chat, she says she's got to go. Good night, Rachel. Have a wonderful evening over there across the pond. Thanks for the super chat. We love you. Uh, then we find out Ouroboros's problem is that they can't open the blast doors to get to the loom without the temporal aura of the person who designed the TVA, AKA he who remains who we saw in the previous couple episodes couple episodes back uh, or they need to get the AI miss minutes to override the lockdown. So this, this rogue AI is like the high priestess guarding the doorway into the Holy of Holies. Cause that's pretty much what the loom represents is the Holy of Holies for the TVA. The meltdown is happening 
because the branches are growing too rapidly. <laughs> and in the part one of this episode analysis, we talked about 1977 London because that's where they landed at the beginning of the episode. And there's all these scares and propaganda going on at that time about climate change and environmental crisis and overpopulation and yada yada. The branches definitely represent the branching timelines. They represent the overpopulation program or problem <laughs> that the uh, elites, air quotes, are always trying to solve with population control. <clears throat> and so then we jump into the scene. Finally, we make it to McDonald's, 1982, Broxton, Oklahoma. Now, you remember how I brought up Mount Brocken, the Brock inspector before? Well, here we are in Brocken, I'm sorry, Broxton, Oklahoma. Nice. <laughs> uh, and Bro Broxton is almost definitely chosen because in the Thor comic books, where Loki is originally from, after the original Asgard is destroyed, Odin and the other Aesir relocate their people to a floating island just outside of Broxton. And when you look into Broxton, there's not a lot interesting there, probably because it's an unincorporated community rather than a city corporation. So that makes a lot of sense for Sylvie to go here because she's seeking the private life to escape the public, the uh, TVA corporate government personhood. And eventually in the comics, though, Broxton gets wiped out and everybody is reduced to ashes. <laughs> By one of Thor's uh, enemies, a rival storm god. So that and that's kind of what happens here. I mean, not in this episode, it doesn't get destroyed, but in a later episode, it does. Uh, it's kind of fitting for Oklahoma that everyone gets destroyed by a storm god because Oklahoma is in Tornado Alley. And in fact, 1982, Oklahoma, where this is set, had one of the biggest tornado flaps in recorded history, where an F5 tornado even occurred. In Oklahoma. So that's pretty gnarly. Uh, Oklahoma in my territories map is the tower card. Um, and there were, I'm pretty sure there were some, some things that went boom in history in Oklahoma that fulfilled the tower card. But it's also uh, funny enough, uh, you know that, the silhouette uh, profile character in the United States that is standing looking east. Do you know the one I'm talking about? His profile is uh, carved out by the Mississippi. That character, it, he has a throne. There's a chair behind him. And that chair is Okulo Homa. Okulo Homa is where he puts his Kulo. Kulo is your ass. So the, that huge sentinel uh, profile literally is standing in front of his chair in the gap between him and his chair, which is Texas. That gap is Oklahoma. There's a big tower <laughs> under the butt of that big character in the United States map. Isn't that funny? So funny. Okula. Then there's there's Oklahoma. There's a can. There's Kansas. Kansas is there too. <laughs> and Tex's ass. He tucks his ass on that throne. It is so weird, man. Once you see these things, uh, like a whole new level of, uh, of inside jokes become yours for the playing. <laughs> it's a lot of butt stuff, dude. Uh, okay, so going forward in the scene. 
Brad is threatened with getting scrunched up in the cube if he does not comply to the ma- the demands of Mobius and Loki in the scene. And they're wondering, why are you so hesitant to be here, Brad? Why are you so upset about being here? And he, his response is, I just don't want to be around a variant who killed 400 of our co-workers. So, oddly enough, when we see Sylvie for the first time in season two, she's wearing a new piece of adornment. Just a single earring, and that earring is in the shape of an ankh, which is the letter T. The Hebrew, ver- Hebrew version of T is Tav, and Tav has a value of 400. She killed 400 TVA employees. That's basically, if you say 400 TVA, you're basically saying Tav, Tav. You know, <laughs> it's the same. It's pretty much the same thing. So I thought that was kind of nice. funny that it was specifically 400. And, it, you know, also the Ankh is on the uh, Hangman card. Yep. And this one is, uh, strangely enough, you know, this is uh, Harry Houdini. I've also found the Stanford, the layout to Stanford University is fandangled into this card as well. Uh, but yeah, that's card number 12. Which... Try to think. Yeah, I don't know any 400s, but uh, it's also Mem, I think, is the. Can you read that? Is that Mem? On the Hanged Man? I think it's Mem. Uh, pretty, sh- pretty sure. I'm absolutely sure that's Mem. Yes, the Hanged Man is Mem. That is correct, which is 40. Okay. Oh, there we go. All right. There it is. Yeah. So there's a. It's. When you put the M with the T, you get the ma at, right? That's something that's going on there. Or the mod, if the T and D switch is done. The mod, the mother, the madre, which is ma at. Now, here we are to McDonald's. Why a McDonald's for this setting? Why a McDonald's other than maybe there's product placement, advertisement paid for? But I don't think so. I think they picked the McDonald's for script reasons or the... uh the Kabbalistic AI did because it definitely links to the idea of automation, the golem, the automaton and the robotic robotization of human beings. Remember we were at the automat earlier and that made us think about the fully automated restaurant with no human workers. That is something McDonald's has been experimenting with recently. And the theme of the show, the time theme really fits McDonald's because they innovated the fast food with their they called it the speedy system and the, uh, the illusion aspect and the whole like Gnosticism thing about this show is evident in the fact that McDonald's isn't real food. <laughs> it's not, it's not even real, you know, like it's illusion food. I think in about 1977, which was earlier in the episode, if we just kind of took the span between 77 to 82 um, or, you know, whereabouts looking in that region of time, they got their first McDonald's got its first drive through in 75 in 77. They added the happy meal and the breakfast menu. Same year kind of fits the theme of uh, get them early, whether it's early in the morning or early in childhood. Also, <clears throat> this is a weird one because Loki Marvel this is a Disney thing, right? Disney owns it all. Now Ray Kroc, the man who basically stole the McDonald's idea or franchise from the McDonald brothers 
built the first global fast food empire. He served alongside Walt Disney in World War One. No way. I know two of the most influential gigantic franchises of all time. Oh, and back to the uh, the hanged man of it. The uh, this McDonald's at this point in time is forty billion served. That's pretty good. That's a good catch machine. There's a forty for it. Forty for you. <laughs> so McDonald's is intense to research. I did some McDonald's research today, and looking looking here, we have uh, first of all that the golden arches were originally a golden arch. And the arc of this episode, remember there's an arc on a license plate earlier in the episode, ARK, very clear. We're meant to be thinking about the arc. And the arc is a box. And we're putting Brad in a box. There's a lot of this going on. I hope that people are just like grasping on their own the profundity of the how these concepts are woven in. I'm doing my best here. But like from my perspective, this is just... It's mind blowing that they would choose McDonald's. That's why I wonder if it's AI, you know, the 37 is the Greek word for TBE, which could also be TVA, um, the speedy icon, their first mascot. It really resembles Miss Minutes. When you look at the original McDonald's mascot, the, this is weird. I think we may have talked about this before, but with the, with appropriate allowable letter swaps, TBE of uh, Tav Bet Hey could be transliterated to English as DVC. That's the Divoc. The Divoc. That's COVID backwards. It's nice. the Hebrew concept of a demon born from a deceased human spirit that can possess people or can be contained in a box. Of course, a TBE or an ARC is also a word for a box. It's the same thing. So. There's like a spirit in the box, right? You used to be able to look up the Divic concept, and now all you get is fact-checking websites that ridicule the uh, possibility that the idea has any relation to COVID-19. There's just no way. And then I wanted to point out how McDonald's well, and Coca-Cola, yeah, they're, they're like, they're married together, right? And the COVID of it, that McDonald's separated the arches in their logos that they printed and put on billboards and stuff during the lockdowns. Social distancing separated the arches. Coca-Cola with this billboard from New York with the, the, the most Orwellian double speak you could ever. It's like, let's just say the opposite is the truth. Staying apart is the best way to stay united. Freedom or slavery is freedom. War is peace. Like what the hell? <laughs> like, how could you even, how can you write that and just feel okay with yourself? It's so crazy. It's basically, it's not 1982 McDonald's, it's 1984. Wow. Dude. So the Divac is also divorce. And uh, and there is quite a, a divorcing of the old ideals that has taken place because of that. And then the, the arches divorced each other by becoming apart. And, uh, and then people saying because they were forced into their house together that now they have to get a divorce. It's such a fascinating psychological gauntlet. I got zapped. Am I good? Okay. Yeah, you're good. I think I got a little zapped there. ARK, ARK in septenary is a 153 
and 153 is an interesting prime number in and of its own path, but the 153rd prime number is 911. Uh, 153 uh, also spells S-E-X in a different cipher. So arc in septenary becomes sex in a reduced ordinal, a, a different cipher. But uh, 153rd well, prime number is the 911. Figure, the figure that rides the arc is the savior, and that's the third person of the trinity the god and goddess, and then the child being the third. And that child represents the spark of erotic energy between the masculine and feminine generative powers. That's what saves the world or saves humanity. If mom and dad didn't feel the vibe, then you wouldn't be here, you know? So it makes sense that the arc could have that encoding of sex. It makes perfect sense because the arc, the why the arc saves everybody is because it preserves Eros, the erotic force and that's what causes the regeneration after destruction and the destruction is the, the destruction is the orgasm the petite mort and then the pregnancy and the 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 child is the regeneration so it's destruction is is regeneration it's part of the part of the doctrine good stuff i never thought never thought about that i see some good people in the chats i want to give a thanks on to rockfin chatter Indiana John who sent me a super chat. Appreciate that. A lot of work goes into this stuff. We're giving it to you all for free. So feel, feel, uh, feeling generous. Give us some support. There's Gabe can be super chatted through cash app at dollar sign slick dissident. I can be supported in various ways. You can see linked in the show notes, the episode description, or just your classic standard super chat. We love you. We appreciate you. So I want to show you. Because we're talking about 1982 McDonald's, this is a McDonald's Christmas commercial from 1982 that was so important that they kept playing it until the 90s. And I am not young, old enough to remember this, but Gabe, you just might have seen this one on TV yourself as a youngster. So I'm going to play it. I don't think we need the sound for it. Um, but what the heck? You know what? Maybe I'll just upload it in a way where we can get the sound. I feel like we should get the full effect. So give me just a moment. Won't take but a second. <laughs> this is I gotta, I gotta as, mention this is creepier the, than the Pierre Pier, Pierre Trudeau pirouette clip. Okay, what do you got, buddy? This is about a minute. <laughs> ready to launch it when you want. Oh, I just wanted to mention the mustard ketchup, the M and the K. The mustard and the ketchup of the MK Ultra is intrinsic because this is a Bernays spell original. The orange and the red is a is a a hook. This is a very old hook that they've seeded into our culture to get hungry upon seeing the red in this the M and the K, the mustard and the ketchup. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Uh that the MK Ultra it's also it is quite in intrinsic. A, in color alchemy too, yellow is the will. And red is like the survival or even like hunger thing, you know, that type of thing. So there's the red and the yellow together is like, you know, putting, putting it into your mind that you have a will to access this and it will, and it's survival related. Like it's of an, it's of a survival level importance. 
I mean, the, the, it's a type of mind trick that only would work on the weak minded, but it's interesting to bring up the mustard and ketchup of McDonald's in the logo coloring and all that. Cause one of the reasons that they were successful in their automation of their restaurant, I mean, the McDonald brothers, they turned their restaurant into a, a Henry Ford level efficiency assembly line. And that's what separated them from the drive ins of their day that they were able to, <laughs> uh, you know, from the point where you ordered to paying you're like less than a minute and they're handing you a, a hamburger and fries and a shake. They had it down. Um, Ray Kroc, the, the way he got in with the McDonald brothers is because he was selling these shake machines that could uh, create five milkshakes at once instead of just one. But back to the mustard and ketchup, the MK, the Kroc brothers figured out a way or they got the right machinery developed that would squirt just the exact right amount of mustard and ketchup, not too much, not too little without the possibility of human error <laughs> so that they could, you know, reduce overhead of, of cost from using too much and keep the product consistent like a robot was making it. And yeah, now they're just doing straight up. They're just straight up doing fully automated McDonald's. But here, this is a one minute uh, McDonald's commercial. And I hope it's not too loud or too creepy. Here we go. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. And the clowns romantically spinning a little boy yeah. around in the air. Ugh. So there's that. That's from 1982. <laughs> uh, I mean, that commercial is basically telling the children, hey, you got no friends? Try McDonald's. And that's actually what Sylvie did. She uh, had no friends, didn't know anybody. So she went to McDonald's. Here she is in her retro mcdonald's uniform seeking refuge or protection at mcdonald's well there's a word that equals 73 that means exactly that Hasa. it is het samek hey that equals 73 and that's exactly what she's doing here it's like every scene the reason why i picked this high priestess and uh and lovers is because every scene you can pull a 73 or a 67 out of a hebrew word that directly describes what's going on in the scene. It's uh it's it's really remarkable, man. And of course, Mobius, mm, I'm not going anywhere until I get some apple pie. He's got to eat pie. If there's an opportunity for pie, he must eat pie at every opportunity because he's an Enneagram 7 with the shadow of gluttony and the 7 has the mystery of pie wrapped up in it. 
Like they just can't help themselves. How, how many ways can you put Mobius with Pi in this plot? This is again, this is why I'm like, is there a, an AI that's writing this script? Because there's these weird levels of sync, like consistency that are constant. And they think of different ways to encode the same thing. They would just go over your head if you're sort of passively watching and it's nonstop. It's nonstop, which is very fun. And here's the, uh, totally. the lovers have, Oh, you want, you got something on this Gabe? There we go. Yeah. The color scheme is perfect. The color scheme is perfect. Um, uh, I want to mention that uh, the machine, the cash register machine that she is at is the Aura Altair constellation. And it even has that angle. The angle to the register is correspondent, powerfully correspondent to the Aura Altair as it fits into the Enneagram and signifies change. And again, with the loose change uh uh, component uh, is uh, lingering in my mind because I know what this uh, what this symbol has been uh, uh, circulated to mean in the past. So when I saw him on one side and her on the other side, I immediately thought of the uh, the art card who has two faces. She's uh, looking in two directions at the same time. Uh, and then she's standing over this cauldron. That cauldron is what used to be the table of the Magi, because she's also Sagittarian, but now it's her cauldron. So under her cauldron, she has her uh, bird or the. I think it's. Uh, I think it's actually Aquila. I don't think that's Phoenix. I think that's the e- uh, eagle of Aquila, and then this uh, this white snow leopard on the other side. Uh, so yeah, the R Altair of it just really snaps out to me anymore. And this is the same. Mobius wrote skin on that on that uh, very same shaped uh, touchstone uh, cornerstone, you could say. Yep. And isn't it fascinating that at this moment, Mobius changes. He doesn't want key lime pie. He has to change. He has to adapt to the environment and he has to settle for apple pie. And so there's a oh, change. You know what too? The, uh, the apple pie on the outside, those, those hot apple pies from uh-huh. McDonald's, they have a, an exterior yeah. that's way closer in the color spectrum to an orange than anything else. Brownish orange. Whereas the key lime is green. So here's this meta points out in the chat. Green versus orange, the most natural versus the most repulsive color. That is interesting. Are you saying that the green is the most natural and the orange is the most repulsive? Hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't have a, a receipt for that, but that's that an is. interesting, interesting take. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and some other things, if you, uh, so you can see the anatomical shape of our Altair is up top here. But what's interesting to me is it works if you flip it upside down. The angles of the corners, I have been seeing them uh, all over the place now that I know what I'm looking at. And then can you roll down just a little on the image? Uh, You see some of like the mute button, the stop cam, the settings, the present, and the Leaf Studio. A long time ago, it dawned on me that those are planetary. 
and that the actual functions fulfill the archetype of the planets. For example, okay, for the uh, people that need, Uranus, I gotta explain the inside baseball real quick. That that's the uh, I, that's the menu in Streamyard. Yeah. What we used t- to stream. There's your inside baseball. <laughs> totally. So these are planetary glyphs, but we thought they were buttons to the computer. And the nature of the planet actually fulfills the function we we associate to them. So uh, Oranos loves to disappear and uh, screw around. And also when you fart, you don't want anybody to hear your fart. So the butt, the butt jokes of the mute button is quite perfect. And then the stop camera is, uh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Pluto is the muto. That's it. Pluto is the muto. Stop camera is Oranos. And that's when you don't want people to see you. You put on your Orania helmet, you become invisible. So stop camera is perfect for the glyph of Oranos. Settings, of course, you know, uh, Saturn controls everything set. Uh, the present, I like this one because it's Earth. It's the here and the now. And then the leave studio is a mix between uh, mom and dad. It's uh, Venus plus Mercury or Venus plus Mars come together. And of course, it would have to be a red uh, X marks the spot. And then uh, uh, the Altair, I just want to point out the uh, anatomical perfection of the constellation. When Sylvie was planting bombs earlier, she was using a mount. And the shape of her mount is the shape of the Altair constellation. It's so flawless. And then loose change. Those are literally the steel beams from loose change. Hold on. I want to show everybody something real quick. Okay. So Slick Dissident has had an altar where I put the phone on every episode. My altar is the same shape as Sylvie's altar. This is my little uh, easel. This is where I put the phone when I do my videos. And it is have literally exact same the easel. shape of the Aura Altair constellation. Do you have the same easel? Yeah, I've only ever used it to paint. That's with, crazy. But I have exact one. Exact. Identical. It's awesome. That's awesome. So what I'm glad blows you brought my up mind the is Sylvie uh, bombing for the language the of the muse. Well, Sylvie bombing the sacred timeline in season one, episode two is echoed in season two, episode two at the end where the sacred timeline gets bombed again there. Everybody's in a loop. You know, we we don't even necessarily capture that part of the analysis, how the events of season two repeat the events of season one. And, but they do, they totally do. Yes. And one thing that I think is really important here because, uh, because geometry is the highest order of communication. And that's hard to appreciate or just take on take my word for it. But geometry is the highest order of communication. And what is blowing my mind, Chance, is we keep we keep pondering like, is the consistency channeled through unseen uh avenues or manifolds of the human experience? But what I think it could actually be channeled through the geometry of the tools that we use. And that's why this Aura Altair keeps popping up everywhere I look is because I can hear the muses. 
I know the muses very intimately. And so when I see some, uh, some of their geometric truth, I realize that this is a fingerprint. Uh, and so, yeah, I know I keep talking about it and it is everywhere because I'm intimate with it. Uh, but I think that could be the avenue you and I have been seeing all along. Like, how can they be speaking on such perfect levels of consistency? And it could have a great deal to do with uh, the shapes of the implements and the tools that they're using. What up, Juan? Big up, buddy. Juan in the house. And okay, let me see, let me go one more, one more rant. Uh, oh, since what the fuck? This one is button. from. <laughs> this one is for Juan. This one is for Juan. I think he'll like this. I believe that the Pythagorean uh, uh, command, let none enter who are ignorant of geometry. That phrase is a double negative. And I think by speaking in the double negative, you're not telling people, don't come in here if you don't know geometry. That's not the double negative that we're that we're looking for. The double negative we are actually looking for is by coming into this space, you are no longer ignorant of geometry. And so as if you walk through, it doesn't matter what you knew before. Now that you are in the sacred space, you have no excuses. You are absorbing the information by uh, presencing yourself in the sacred temple. And that's why I think geometry is the highest order of communication, way beyond what uh, we, we, uh, that we entertain when we say English is angels is the angles. There's so much inside of our words. And I think that's a great example of it, the Aura Altair constellation. And if if we knew more about geometry, we might be able to that's like if you were saying if we knew all the languages in the world would how would our spiral of understanding the monomyth be altered, right? And I think geometry is another one of those languages. Probably gematria and geometry have way more to go to do with each other than is talked about, but we we don't have the learning for that yet. <laughs> You know, we'd have to go do some learning before we'd be able to make those connections and some internalizing of particular sacred properties of geometric forms. <laughs> like, so, wow, the Morpheus is Mobius and Morpheus is the god of forms, the god of dreams. And if we could comprehend that, you know, if I started looking for that, too, maybe I would see that, OK, this number is part of it. And this number of degrees is every angle of this geometric form. and etc. Right. Like, so there is a language to that as well. And I think you're right that the, the shape of things informs their, their purpose. I mean, that's just how it is. <laughs> a tool is only useful because of the shape it is in. And so when we, that gives us this fantastic ability to realize that the, uh, the altar and the easel, that they have some sort of similar uh, function in the psyche that they are echoes of the same concept. They are the, the platform upon which the imagination can be accessed, whether that imagination is in the invocation of the deity, 
that God is the divine imagination, the cosmic imagination creating everything or the, the, you put a, a canvas on your easel and you communicate with the imagination through that. So there's, there is something to it. Like if the shape is the same, the function is the same, even if it looks like it's a totally different function. If you peel back enough layers and get to the core of a thing, you're probably going to see that it's the same function. That is difficult. <laughs> that is difficult because we've complicated stuff. And well, I think what you and I try to do is actually, it might seem complicated, but we're actually like on a quest to simplify things, to simplify things so that we can approach better understanding. I love it. Wait, I got just a couple of quick ones. So no, no, you, no when you want to go to sleep, the command, all right, the command order for getting to sleep faster is counting sheeps. But this is also counting shapes. And you're onboarding potentials. You're taking on like uh, Morpheus uh, potentials that might be dressed into something specific in your dream later. So when you count sheep, you're also onboarding potential shapes. Uh, so that that's interesting because it corresponds with um, uh, Moses, right? Getting ready for a journey into the, into the uh, the mem into the water. But incubate, I want to mention incubate. Um, when you see, look at even this little stand for my phone, it's got the same shape to it. So funny. But when we see these that shapes, shape, that shape something is, that I got on with uh with uh George. That shape is also the number seven and the the letter gamma. And in English, that letter is the seventh letter. Right. Nice. And and it has a, a sharpness. Seven is notoriously has a sharp edge to it. Something that George and I were weaving on is an artist uh, uses a corner of a cube to draw their perspective into the art. But it has a different uh, si uh, secondary effect on the onlooker. It gives them a hazard. And as a child... We were we learned almost everybody has a scar on their face somewhere where they learned why is the edge of the coffee table the most dangerous thing in your life? This is an <laughs> early lesson that we still have imprinted into our brain. And what's fascinating is the fold of the brain in Latin is called a, a rincon. It's a wrinkle, but a wrinkle is also a corner. So the corner mm. of the edge of the image you're looking at, it has a corner in the folds of your mind that it actually fits into, like a hand in a glove. So the wrinkles of the folds of our thoughts have a perfect corresponding fit for the shape to incubate. The thought is put into your head and it incubates better because it's embedded into you. And so the imprint of perspective art has incubates. Uh, it's incubating. It's incubating. There it is. I see. I, I see it. where you're going. So yeah, that's why the cube is so powerful. It's because yeah, because we learned it as a hazard as a child, and we anticipate it. We expect to see it, and once we find it, we feel centered or comforted or confirmed. 
Well, yeah, and we feel order. We feel that there's an order to things with that. The circle, the cube implies like um, knowledge of some proportion. You know, you can you can use cubes to measure, right? A grid, but circles, <laughs> circles are in are undefined. Think about pi again. Nobody fucking understands pi. <laughs> it's infinite, right? The circle. It's like uh, Godel's incompleteness theorem. A circle can only be understood if there's something outside the circle. You can't define a circle unless there's an outside to the circle. But a cube can be defined as sort of like in its own internal reference in a way. I'm getting off, getting off into uh, the weeds, but very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. That's that sharp corner, the coffee table is where we learned the order of operations, the mat. Um, we don't have a whole lot to go in the slides. Actually, we're doing really well on time. I'm, I'm stoked about that. You know, I don't, I don't need to be here for four hours. I'm, I'm we'll see how we go. Maybe it'll be under three. Even I'm having a good time. Uh, we're back to this, this moment where Sylvia and Loki are having their emotional reunion. Cause they haven't seen each other since they, they smooched and then uh, fought over the life of he who remains. But now Sylvie is on the clock. It, she lived outside of time for so long. And now she is enjoying her new normal of being a simple wage slave. And there's a great irony here <clears throat> because most people feel like what would that what would give them freedom would be to escape from the wage slavery to get off the clock. Well, Sylvie goes and kills the guy who is the boss of clocks. <laughs> And then her response is to go get on the clock, you know, like there's a, there's a weird paradox to that and an Ouroboros to that, that she, she got to the crown and now she's falling back down to the, the lowest level of the tree of life. And so did Loki and they're both having to work their way back up. And we see that left and right side of the tree of life reflected really heavily with the uh, Chokmah, which is wisdom and Bina understanding Chokmah is 73. Bina is 67, and those are the two numbers that are most prominent in this episode. So we're seeing the left-hand, right-hand path thing again. Uh, so they have, <laughs> they start having their catch-up. They're catching up. Sylvie's probably got mustard. She's eating a McDonald's sandwich. So they're, they're catching up with mustard. They haven't seen each other. Uh, Loki explains how he was in the future at the TVA, and Sylvie was there in the future as he was slipping through time at the crucial moment that he had his Phoenix rebirth. So it appears in that scene, actually from my first take when I saw it was that she actually pruned him. But then I realized, and it's probably other people interpreted it that way too, that she, she didn't prune him. It was actually Loki. We find out way later of another different time who showed up to prune himself. This is the Phoenix self-sacrifice thing, um, which is Loki's entire arc <laughs> story arc in this episode as he's learning how to, how to be how to sacrifice the ego in a way to do the right thing without the without needing recognition or con congratulation so loki's saying the tva is in danger and you were there i need to know why and sylvie's arguing well that sounds a lot like the future's already been written which is impossible because i killed the author of the of time so we're back to this predetermined future uh versus chaos or free will and Sylvie is the representative or agent of chaos, which is the feminine side. Loki's the agent of order, the masculine side. Um, 
she's rebelling against a fate as an automaton while she ironically works in a restaurant that is the most auto- automatic and has like the most roboticized employees uh, in human history. So like there's great, great Socratic irony in this really great. And it's, you see this in, I mean, honestly, like truth movement, conspiracy culture. I see this so much that the people that rage against the machine, the hardest need the person to blame. They're the ones that self enslave the most of all. I mean, every every addict has to have somebody to blame to be an addict. I don't even consider someone might have a habit and I don't even consider you an addict if you don't blame others for your problem. <laughs> you know, if it's just something you do and you know that you do it and that, yeah, maybe it's not great, but it's something I do. Well, you're not an addict. <laughs> the addict has to blame someone external and you you might even try to help them heal them, uh, remove whatever that thing is that they're blaming. They'll just find something else to blame. It'll be you. Actually, you'll you'll be the one that receives the blame eventually. So that's what's happening here. <laughs> Sylvia's blaming Loki, and he's the one that freed her from the whole damn thing. So, <laughs> so she's got to find someone else to blame. She's addicted to the McDonald's. <laughs> she's just like just like Donald. There's a lot going on here, and we're Loki is explaining that the the coming destruction of the world which is the allegory of the flood, the cyclical flood or universal annihilation, which without the TVA, AKA Tav bet the word for Noah's Ark, then this destruction will be permanent because the Ark or the TVA is the only thing that can regenerate the world after it's inevitable and cyclical end. And he's saying it's going to be, you know, he who remains that comes and destroys it all. She scoffs at him, of course. Oh, you see visions of the future now? Cool. Uh, funny there's a 21 you know 21st prime being 73 vision a vision of the future there it is it's a het zion vav and that's what it means then uh, we cut over to mobius and brad wolf they're watching the soap opera through the window while they're mobius is thoroughly enjoying his pie and wouldn't you know a day of feast (laughs) mobius is saying hell you were just setting us up for a great meal. Thank you. And Mobius is, is totally trying to like, you know, mend bridges. He's very friendly. He's trying to be, befriend Brad again, smooth it all over. But I thought it was hilarious that a word that equals 73 uh, is a day of feast, a day of good. And here Mobius is referring to having a great feast, a great meal. It's a great day. And that word would transliterate to something like yum tub or yum tub, something like that. I mean, who knows how you would actually pronounce Hebrew words unless you just have a, a speaker. But that's that's fun. There's a 73 in it. And they are feasting. There's another word, you know, to see the, the 67 in it. There's actually another word in Hebrew that equals 67 that is a, a referring to preserving food. And that, that's hilarious because McDonald's food is mostly preservatives. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 67 is Zion, a weapon, and the preservatives are the weapon that's in the food. So we have the lover's card and the high priestess card showing up here. They're comedically uh, commenting on the observation of Loki and Sylvie hashing out their relationship. Mobius is like, opposites attract. Ha, that's not true. They're the same person. So this is a good comedic moment. 
Uh, Gabe, I'm just going to kind of roll through slides until you want to pop in. So just uh, hail me if you need to get in there. And we see <laughs> Mobius starts asking him about Zaniac, trying to befriend him. And he's like, we're laughing about how crazy life is. Just a, 10 minutes ago, you were screaming at me. You're nothing. And I freaked out and, and basically tortured you. And now here we are enjoying a, a, a meal like gentlemen. Then Mobius asks him about his movie Zaniac. And Brad is like, it's, it's not scary. It's elevated thriller. All just sort of filler dialogue. But I did notice he's got a cut on his arm in the exact shape of a seven or a gamma, uh, a gamma. And Brad is definitely a gamma in terms of the social sexual, social sexual hierarchy. So that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. I mean, in case we were, in case we were going to miss, if we were going to miss that this episode had so much seven going on it, there's literally a seven on his arm. I, I find that fascinating. They just put the clues. They're littered all through it. Brad really wants to leave. He's like, why don't we just get this to go? It packs right up. Let's go. And Mobius realizes, hey, this might be a setup. Are you setting us up? Why would you want to go so badly? And uh, Brad storms out. He really wants to leave. And he admits, he admits the truth. If we stay here, we're all going to die. He's making a prediction. It's prophetic. This moment is fully prophetic. A word in Hebrew that equals 73 relating to the high priestess is prophetic. It's Nun, Bet, Yod, Aleph, Yod. <laughs> so something like Nabiai, I don't know, but that's a word that means prophetic. And then Sylvie puts her hand on him and she has a vision of what's about to happen, which is the sacred or the, uh, the branches of the timeline getting bombed by general docs. So she has a prophetic vision as well. Uh, in the same moment, there's a big 73 weave going on. So she cuts to the chase and finds that. Um, and then they just jump straight with uh, Sylvie's tempad. They jump straight to the place where this bombing of the branches on the timeline is going on. And wouldn't you know it, we're in a boat building facility. <laughs> the Ark. There's an Ark right here. You can see it. This is a place where boats are built and that's amazing. <laughs> uh, also there's a, like an assembly line of wow. bombs getting put in their, their rectangles, their boxes and sent to their places on the timeline. It's an automated uh, universal abortion factory. It's really something. Gabe, you want to jump in? I've been going for a minute. Uh, yes. Hold on. Yes. Dude, great catch on the boat. How did, yeah, how did I miss that boat? Uh, so that brings the, um, the hermit card to mind more, more than uh, before, because on the hermit card is a, a, it looks like a paper boat folded up. Um, and it's, uh, it's Argus. It's the Argo constellation. Um, so this really fulfills the hermit in a major way, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but even the, uh, the shape of the, uh, of 
the dome up above is kind of like that white uh, hair on the red tongue of the hermit card. I'm getting heavy uh, imagery from the hermit here, which I wouldn't have thought of if you hadn't brought the boat forward. Uh, so that's really uh, interesting. Let me see if I can. Uh, I'm going to send you a graphic uh, uh, through the telly to maybe just bring the hermit into people's minds. In the yeah, just one sec. The hermit. That is the yod. Well. While you're doing that, I'll point out, you can see in the background here, it's De Liu and Sonar, Bot Bigger. <laughs> Basically, Bot is boat, De is of, Lee, L-E-E-U-W, is Leo. So it's Leo and Sons boat construction or boat building. Uh I'm assuming BYGGR is referring to uh, like construction or manufacturing. So I think it's like a Norwegian or one of them languages up there, up in the Northern Europe area. But yeah, we have De Liu. That's Leo. It literally, that's a word that means lion. So it's lion and sons, boat builders, sons of the lion, tribe of Judah. That's the, wow. that's who's building the boats. Yeah, yeah, that's and great. They're also uh, the lovers are are united here in this scene, and she's got a Zion, a weapon that Zion means sword. Looks like I see your message came through. I'll pull that up. Maybe the uh, the more recent one, the one with the hermit on it. I don't see nice. that one yet. So. Uh, no, this is the one. This is the one I wanted because, uh, yeah, you had it. I, it's all, it's hard to it's hard to cipher out, but yeah, the one with the red is the hermit card. Yeah, this one. Now, this project is not about this scene, but now that you brought the boat into the picture, uh, it does fit. You can see the paper boat at the top of the hermit card. What this graphic is about is uh, harvesting the uh, the theory that Dr. Doom is going to eventually be the grand poobah behind the, behind the curtain. And so I actually was on a Dr. Doom dig and finding how consistent the uh, comic books are to. Fascinating how consistent they are. But on the uh, on the left side is Dr. Doom's mother, who is a Roma, a wandering Roma. And she's about to give birth to this to this baby. And she's dancing around the fire. And even in the distance, there's a little carriage off in the far distance uh, signifying the egg in the in the in the hermit tarot card. And then underneath her is a little red baby. And that's Dr. Doom about to be born. So he fulfills the red tongue of the hermit card. It's amazing how consistent the comic book art is to the tarot. And then on the right side is where he defeats the guy, the, the monster, the demon, the devil, who uh, has his mom taken hostage in hell. Even this uh, art confirms and comports to 
the shape of in the anatomy of the hermit card. Um, even the fact that his mother is a little purple dress, uh, the hermit card is right next to the star card. It's almost like the hermit card reached out and borrowed a little splash of color off of the star card next to it on my on my uh, on my enneagram project. Uh, and then if you go up, you can see how obvious this one is. Uh, above is uh, Wotan, and he is this is you know Loki's father as a drunk uh, vagabond. Look how consistent it is to the hermit card in total. It is profound. Even the darkness of, of Loki fulfills the uh, the dogs, uh, the Cerberus. It's like they don't miss any details. Every little ingredient of the tarot card has to be included. But I just wanted to uh, kind of compare this project with the scene that we're walking into, where these guys are opening golden doorways and portals. Uh, and uh, bugging out. This is a bug out scene. This is a smash and grab. And so, uh, yeah, I just thought I would share just off the top of my head, the the quickest uh, amalgam of the hermit imagery that I could pass forward. But, but I, I wasn't thinking that until you saw the boat chance. I wasn't thinking hermit card until the boat came out. What I was thinking before that was, um, was more on the cicadas because these guys are in a big hive. They're in some sort of like a beehive, the, the, the hangar that they're in, and they're buzzing out. They're busy going out and setting these detonation charges. And so can you uh, bring the graphic I sent before this one, the one with the ADL on it? This is a big up to Polymathen on this weave. Polymathen had a huge revelation Around the Let me put something spell. out there real quick about realizing the, uh, that the card. ADL is starsh. Let me pause you. Yeah, you know what? I should, <laughs> I should just okay. instead of talking over you, I should just mute you and be like, "I'm pausing, Gabe, for a second, and then you can come back in." I'm sorry, uh, just because of the delay thing. But you know, in terms of the hermit card, Sylvie is hermiting in this McDonald's. She's isolating. She's hiding there, and the original McDonald's uniforms they wore paper hats and that paper boat on the hermit card could be a paper hat. It's all, it's almost identical to the way their paper hats looked in the uh, early, early days of McDonald's. So that's there. Now you're muted. I didn't actually mute you. <laughs> Start over. There we go. Okay. All right. So after my interview with Joshua LaBranch regarding the cicadas, uh, our buddy Polymathen, he, he found a fascinating correspondence between the IDF and Starship Troopers. And when you correspond the IDF with the Starship Troopers, Things get absolutely fascinating. Consider how the machine gun is very much like the, uh, well, some people have never played the instrument, but the scratchy stick is like a machine gun because you can literally feel the vibrations 
go through your body uh, ergonomically. So the machine gun is correspondent to the scratchy stick, which is that is so magical and wild to compare uh, uh, instruments of war to instruments of the muses of music. It's profound. I, uh, it's so profound. But the IDF uh, in uh, they correspond to Starship Troopers. It's kind of a no brainer. Uh, but if you watch Starship Troopers with this information, uh, the symbols and the, the significance is next level. But uh, uh, so, yeah, Polly Mathing sent us a clip from Starship Troopers where one of the bugs actually gets over the wall. By the way, the wall has rivets just like the scratchy stick. It's called the heckle heckle. Even the wall is like the scratchy stick. And one of the bugs gets shot down coming over the wall and collides into the uh, captain and the guys who shot the bug. They look at each other like, well, that was two for one because they didn't like their captain. But Polymathen points out that that's just like the hang gliders. That's just like the hang gliders that infiltrated on, on the October 7th spell. And so uh, also uh, pigs on the seventh is a chess term is a chess term for when both of the rooks are down on your pawn line, they can eat your pawns one by one from both directions. And that is what October 7th was encoding. Like we're like, everybody's just now realizing that January 6th meant the tower card. October 7th was pigs on the 7th. This is where the two towers can eat your pawns uh, freestyle. And so they're doing chess moves on the dates that signify the master stroke of a chess uh, strategist. And so the IDF is the IDF fool, individual. The IDF is the IDF fool. Uh, and they sit up there with their little scratchy sticks and think they're going to fight all the bugs down. Profound eugenics implications with these instruments of music compared to instruments of war. It's something else. I am like reading the tea leaves that nobody knew existed. I'm still laughing about how you uh, Freudian slipped <laughs> ADL instead of IDF at first. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing. The ADL is the uh, the Internet uh, Israeli army. <laughs> it's the same thing. They're listening right now. Okay, so. We're we're getting there, guys. We're we're doing really well. Thanks for for hanging out. The uh, heroes they go to stop the abortion of all of these timelines that's happening because they've just recently these are recently formed branches. So the destruction of them is a an abortion. That's just the the metaphor because uh, it's population control, and that's what abortion is for. It's for population control, of course. And when the lovers they join hands, and them joining hands creates a weapon or a Zion in the form of this green blast that of uh, enchantment that knocks down everything and destroys all the machinery. So that's the Zion, the letter Z that's on the lovers card. Then we have back at the TVA, everybody's bummed out that. <laughs> the uh, the abortion happened. Uh, Sylvie even comes to the TVA, uh, and 
you know, B-15, who was like a hardened timeline exterminator in season one. Now she sees these pruned timelines as you know, those were people, billions and billions of lives. Very sad. Uh, and Sylvie, she, well, here's, you know, the EKG of the, the pruned timelines. I sort of wonder if I'm stretching, but I did notice that all of these branches are branches off of 616. And 616 is what they call universe. 616 is the, the mainstream Marvel universe, the comics Marvel universe. But it seems like they've been referring to the sacred timeline as 616 in various Marvel cinematic universe things. So I don't know, maybe they're just confused and, or they're confusing us. But if we were considering the lover's card and Zion being a 67, if you put one of those sixes you know, if you put the one and six together of the 16 of 616, you get a seven. So 616 does kind of echo the idea of 67. I wonder. Maybe that's just a coincidence. Then, then we find out because of all of these timelines or uh, all of these ab- aborted timelines are now out of the way. The needle in the haystack reveals itself and Casey is able to get a hit on Ren Slayer's Tempad. That's going to be the uh, subject matter of the next episode. They're trying to find a he who remains and to find a Ren Slayer. Turns out they got to go to the same place for that. And it's wild. We got to, <laughs> this whole show is about controlling the historical narrative, controlling the sacred timeline, you know, narrative control of people's perception of history. And where do they go in this next episode coming up? The World's Fair. <laughs> like the ultimate. The ultimate historical manipulation of narratives and timelines is the World's Fair. So that's going to be a humdinger. Might take a while, I mean, to prepare because all the different avenues of possible research to discover with the World's Fair are huge. But that's going to be really fun. It's got a lot of different settings than what we've had so far. Overall, season two just gets better and better. So I'm, I'm glad we're making our progress through it. But I'm also glad we're taking our time. Uh and getting a hit on Rinslayer's Tempad, it's, you know, this is also cell phone tracking again. That was a theme of this episode. We talked about it more in part one, but just the open, you know, tracking of cell phones. Uh, here we see it's kind of like video gamey looking, but they found her. And then I noticed this guy in the background. They've pretty much got every main character and extra of the TVA that shows up regularly in this shot. You know, going back a few shots, let me go back a few. You've got, oh, I didn't get a good screenshot of it, but like every TVA character, even the male lady that's seen walking around in the background of different scenes, even she's here. But there's this bizarre, dark, complected man wearing all white with a uh, a white cap. And I'm wondering, is this the egg? Is this the egg that you were talking about, Gabe? Because I've been trying to figure out what he is. Is he symbolically like an egg? I don't know. What do you think about this brother? Why is this like brother it. here? He has no lines. He's like not a it. character, but he's just there. And he's, he stands, he yeah. stands out. No one else is dressed yes. like this. Who is this guy? Yeah, man. Yes. I think you're right. Uh, and he does have a, there's another character uh, in that same room. who's the same, uh, same thing, nondescript, not doing anything, fulfills no purpose except for standing out and how he looks. Um, my 
uh, I would have said something different a week ago, but because I'm stuck on the uh, the cicada thing, uh, one of the things that is the the grossest aspect of the cicada, yeah, Peter, yeah, it gets even grosser. A sperm. It turns out the cicadas have a, a sexually trans right, right. Well, the cicadas have a sexually transmitted disease that is actually how they how they collapse. In this disease, it actually it's a strange powder that accumulates on their on their uh, thorax or their on their ass, and it eats it erodes their ass away slowly and surely. But then, uh, so that the males start to only be able to uh, flap their wings, which is a symbol that they are a female. So this this strange uh, fungus. It's sexually transmitted. It makes the males have to be behave as a female, and then they get mauled by other males. And the and if you you look at the fungus, it the shape of it is like the cap of this guy's head, and it's uh, strange white powder on the butt of these uh, of these locusts or on these uh, cicadas. And so that is what I'm seeing with this uh, kind of a anode cathode of this guy is highly sterilized he's not doing anything serves no purpose maybe we'll know later maybe it'll make sense later yeah it'll make sense when you see the cicada sexually transmitted diseases that was uh planted egg planted in your mind <laughs> uh i got a big eggplant weave coming forward i don't want to i don't want to spill the beans too early but the word eggplant was dominating our consciousness for years and we had no idea but come over to slick distant for more on that we're in we're going to keep it tidy around here well if this guy's <laughs> a sperm and uh, eggplant is an emoji that means a dick then i get it i get it <laughs> okay well i got one last slide we see that sylvie bails on the uh the tva crew she says they're rotten rotten eggs right it's broken and rotten and she goes back to McDonald's to look up at the stars. And what's on her license plate? We see the letters CA-2IL4. Well, we'll just do some math. Um, let's go ahead and call the C a 20, just like in way back in episode two of season one, where we were seeing 20 as they were chasing after Hunter C20. So C is 20. That's the cough of Hebrew gematria equals 20. So 20 plus A is 1. I'm just going to go through it. 20 plus 1 is 20. 1 plus 2, 23. Plus a Yod is 33. Plus a Lamed makes it 63. Plus a 4 makes it, you guessed it, 67. This license plate is a 67. Just like Sigismund Freud. <laughs> so they finish right there. You know, they start, awesome. start and finish with the 73s and 67s. And that's it. We made it through another uh, analysis of a whole episode. I'm sure there's even stuff we missed, but I hope you guys got a lot out of it. It's so uh, profound, the level of connections that show up here when you start to look. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with this. So super chat us. Yeah, hit it up. <laughs> James, can you go back a couple slides to the one with uh, Renslayer? Where they get a ping on her on her device. Uh, there's a yes, but actually but before her location has. I, I want to say I was like super chat us. 
I got to mention Don, Don, you know who you are out there. You super chats us on cash app. I think Gabe even gets the super chats from him. Thank you, Don. You know, they come through on cash app. So I don't notice it in the live stream chat, but got to give you a big, a big uh, shout out. Appreciate that. Okay. And I'll bring this up for you, Gabe. I'm going to just do that from now on when we have a delay, just so you know, if I need to cut in, I'm just going to mute you. So we're not talking over each other. And then you'll know to just start over when I finish my thread. Um, and that's, I think that's going to work. Okay. Figuring that out. Oh, Peter shout with the big oh, super good. chat. Yeah, buddy. Dude, you super chat such generous amounts. Like, you know, you could, you could get biofield tuning with this kind of money. <laughs> so I appreciate this a lot. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. You know, but love, what can I do yeah. for you? Big love to Peter Shell. Big time, man. Uh, so so uh, can you zoom in on her number? Turns out she's rocking the number of the years since the last time the brood number 13 and brood number 17 came together. She's got right there two. Where is it? 221. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the highlighted. It's in the highlighted bar. It's two two one. The highlighted bar has the numeric uh, equivalent of how many years since the Southern Brood and the Northern Illinois Brood uh, spawned together at the same time. So that was uh, pretty revealing. And again, the cicadas color is so correspondent to the theme of the entire motif of the film. Uh, the orange, the brown, the dark black, those are the color scheme of the pharaoh cicadas. Uh, most cicadas have that, that color. It's all kind of uh, fascinating how it's all making sense now in hindsight. And then uh, can you bring up the last graphic I sent you in the telly? Uh, this will be my last, my final flow. This kind of corresponds to the moment when uh, Sylvie and Loki, they hold hands together. In the in the uh, the hangar where all the uh, the rogue agents are going through the portals and dropping off bombs everywhere, Sylvie grabs his hand and she says, "Don't overthink it." And then they're able to do this huge green blast that resets everything. Uh, something that this has brought forward is one of uh, Loki's techniques, one of his methods. This actually um, hails back to the beginning of this episode. Remember, Chance, when uh, Brad was running th on the through the labyrinth, through the maze, uh, of running away from Loki, and Loki used the Deimos, the you know the false uh, people, to stop him and create this illusion of uh, there's more working against you, you know, amplifying the uh, the numbers of his opponent. This is a technique that Loki has used in the past. And so this is an image of Loki, I think, from a, one of the early Avengers, where he puts the entire crowd in a thrall. And they show the crowd looking at Loki uh, so that we can see the back of their head facing him. But then they show us the image from Loki's perspective. And what is fascinating about this is that the uh, on the cover of Thomas Hobbes' book, Leviathan, Everybody in the public got a copy of the book. They had pictures of the people's heads looking away from the from the cover, 
looking into the uh, the Corpus Leviathan, the big man in the sky. So we were only seeing the cough, the back of head. But the king has the only copy of the same book. And on the king's cover is the only unique printout where the king is actually seeing the faces of all of the characters in the Corpus Leviathan are looking at the king. And this is playing into the vanity, into the uh, the individual with that shadow of envy. It's playing both sides of that uh, and telling us that the king is reading uh, the same books from a totally different perspective than us. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to throw this in. And then, of course, Leviathan is an anagram for Hail Votan, and Votan is what they call NATO in Europe. Oh, and then his, um. okay, but this is why, don't overthink it. Remember, Sylvie holds his hand and she says, don't overthink it. Everybody get on you, get on your Wikipedia, look up NATO in, in Europe. Their slogan is a mind unfettered by deliberation. A mind unfettered by deliberation is basically a synopsis of what Sylvie used as the command order to harness his energy and use him to blast everybody to do her will. She said, don't overthink it. And so NATO's slogan is correspondent to what Sylvie used to modulate and harness Loki's will uh, to blast all those people. So I just wanted to bring that full circle. And uh, yeah. Leviathan is also that oil field that is popping off in the Middle East right now. So it's going to, they're going to keep that bubbling. Dude, what you just, I did not know that NATO's motto was that, but in Latin, that would be animus in consulendo liber. So that is deep because first of all, they're using the word for mind. That is also the divine wind. The pneuma, the aura, it's the animus. <laughs> That's they could have used other words for mind, but like so, we see that slogan. Regular people they don't read Latin, so they see, you know, oh, uh, animus in consulendo liber. Okay, it means according to what I'm reading, a mind unfettered in deliberation. What you could also say that it means is the council of the. Divine wind of Bacchus. Animus, the divine wind or soul. Consolindo, that's a council, sure. Uh, Liber, that's the name of Bacchus. Liber Pater, Liber Pater, the father of the book. <laughs> it means, or it could also mean the spirit uh, council of the book. Like, there's a lot of stuff that that could mean besides a mind unfettered in deliberation. But the last thing I'll add is that the Latin word they're using for deliberation, which is actually counsel, consolendo. Um, they're translating that as deliberation, but then the word that they're getting unfettered from is liber. So counsel, um, <clears throat> you know, deliberation and li- liber. It's like there's so much uh, crazy playing with definitions. Uh, like they're telling you straight up. One thing in Latin, if you have the eyes and the ears to comprehend Latin, but then the interpretation that they're giving you of what they're saying to you is some completely other things. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like they're telling you a very different statement in Latin than what is being read in English. That is crazy shit, dude. 
Wow. Animus inconsolendo liber. Yeah, abiding. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And it's, oh, and yes. it's Wotan. And, NATO, Otan. Whoa. And it's, that's worth and that's it, worth having you. Is it that uh, wild? You know, so that's that's why I have you here is for that type of stuff, dude. I love you, buddy. That's <laughs> that's uh, I'm gonna be thinking about that one. Whoa. <laughs> Nato, that's that's, freaking that's awesome that you extracted. Yeah, man, that's great that you extracted the animus and the animation of kind of the automaton aspect of it. And you're right. You're so right. When they give us a slogan and we just accept the English translation. Nope, they're sliding a million things past your radar. You got to go and dig into those Latin translations. I'm so glad you dug on that. That's awesome. That's yeah. what's really F fun Wotan. about this. F Wotan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wotan is Bacchus too. I mean, they're the same guy. It's the sun. It's uh, there's it's the monomyth. The monomyth got fragmented by grabblers so that it could be used in different regions to play them off of each other. But it's always been only the one thing. It's only one god or three gods in one, but there's still one guy. It's all the same thing, but. This series, why this series is so valuable to me, apart from the fact that it's just fun to talk about uh, comic booky stuff, because I've always been a, a nerd like that, is, mm, you know, my ability to comprehend Latin when I see it and know the multidimensional layers of meaning without going and referring to a translation. I just see that slogan. I'm like, whoa, they're saying some shit there. Or, you know, just from this series, this series is what has pushed me over the line or the tipping point where I can read Hebrew letters on site without referring to a chart of what the letters are and know their numerical value. So like this, <laughs> this series, I'm doing this for me, but I'm glad you guys are along for the ride. Uh, but it's, it's really upgrading my whole uh, neologism here. Numeral linguistic uh, comprehension, it's num numerical linguistic comprehension. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So enjoying it. Looking forward to picking it up where we left off. What do, what do you want to, you know, I'm thinking about uh, Wednesday is Valentine's Day, dude. I know that it's, you know, your Hallmark created this holiday and all that. But I think I'm just going to do something nice for my wife on that night and probably take uh, take the Wednesday off for the holiday. So just let everybody know. Maybe I'll do something, but maybe on a different day. If I do, it'll be a surprise. I'll let you know on the day, but I think we'll have the night off on Wednesday. How's that sound? I dig it. I totally dig it. Yeah. Day for the lovers. Yeah, the lovers. And here's Kyle coming in hot. Howdy, chat friends. Good to catch the last bit live. Thanks for showing your beautiful screen name and uh, logo that represents a great Great man named Kyle Denton. Check out the link in the show notes for Tippecanoe Herbs, where you can use the Interverse coupon code, get 10% off. We get a kickback. Love that. Great products. I've been spritzing myself with my Rose Hydrosol this entire conversation several times. And uh, yeah, Tippecanoe Herbs, my favorite affiliate. Other than that, you can sign up for a tuning. Still got some openings in March, actually, if you guys are interested. I have had some profound results. I want to, <laughs> I tuned somebody for their second time last week. I don't think I've mentioned this on a show yet. Maybe I did. I tuned someone for the second time 
And what I found out was that back in December, after the first time I tuned him, it was a root chakra tuning. And three days after that tuning, where we worked on their root and their pathways of elimination, this client passed a tapeworm. And I was like, holy shit, uh, that's a very rare result. I'm not saying get a tuning and you're going to have, you know, crazy stuff come out in the bathroom. But that's the type of profound shifts that are possible that you might not even know you needed from a tuning. We change the energetic environment of the the bowels and the digestive tract and that tapeworm could not live there anymore. And it got out. She didn't even know it was there. So, um, you know, sound healing, it's real. <laughs> Interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. If you're interested in, in that, uh, there's so much possible. It's profound. Get your, get your story straight, you know, get your, get your limiting stories deleted and, and self-author a much more powerful creative capacity for your life. Yeah. Okay, you got anything else, Gabe, before we wrap it up? Close it down. This has been a great show. That's awesome, Chance. You're uh Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yes, sir. Uh, uh you know, taking out tapeworms, that's uh, purifying realm one Yalda Bayoth at a time. So yeah, big ups to you on that, man. Big ups. <laughs> Cool. Uh, all right. Well, good night, uh, yeah, everybody. I got nothing else. This was awesome. Oh, I got one thing. Uh, there's a very good. I got one thing. One thing. Uh, there's a good chance I might have uh, Mr. Kyle Denton on the Slick Dissident shared artistic expression very soon. So we're going to work that out, and I'm looking forward to it. I'll try to get a nice notice in advance uh, so people can plan and uh, clear their schedules and come uh, share on the. The Hoosier gravy. Y'all have never had gravy till you've had Hoosier gravy. Hoosier gravy is the kind of gravy you can put in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, All right. you know, Big love, not, y'all. not to invite myself, but uh, I'd, I'd be happy to come on sometime. <laughs> you've done me the great service of being my wingman for quite yes. a while now. So, it, yes, you know, no obligation, but I'll come hang. That sounds great. And Okay, I think that's yeah, I think that covers it. Thanks again to yeah, Peter Shell. Yeah, we'll go to, big. We'll go real big. Thanks, Peter Shell, Indiana John, uh, Rachel Sparks, everyone else that may super chat after the fact. Love you guys and have a great Monday night. Have a really sweet Valentine's Day with your sweetie. And uh then that'd be good. See you later. <laughs>